It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, August 18th, 2014. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ariel Hawani. Inside our New York City studio, we have a big show planned for all of you back home or wherever you may be on this beautiful mid-August Monday afternoon here in New York City. Maybe the morning where you are, maybe the evening where you are, or like one of our guests, it may be early Tuesday morning. Who knows? That's the beauty of this world we live in. So the UFC had another event on Saturday. It was in Maine. It was a UFC fight night headlined by Ryan Bader versus Ovin St. Pru. Of course, Ryan Bader winning that fight. Not the most exciting affair. The undercard, you know, it's interesting. A lot of us, including myself, criticized the UFC for not putting Zach Makovsky versus Jussier Formiga, Sarah McMahon versus Lauren Murphy on the main card. And those fights kind of ended up being duds. And the fights that we criticized them for putting on the main card, fights like Jack May versus Sean Jordan, Alain Jobin versus Seth Bozinski, Thiago Tavares versus Robbie Peralta, those fights ended up being great. So maybe we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Maybe we should just shut this whole thing down and go home. What do you say? I mean, really. In any event, we're not going to do that because we have a fun show planned, as I said. Looking forward to getting it in, uh, getting into it with all of you. Uh, let's uh, let's run it down, all right? 345, we're going to take your questions and comments. Hit us up using the hashtag DMMAHour. Leave a question or comment in the comment section below. There is, as always, a lot to talk about in the world of MMA these days. You guys like Inside the Vault. I like it, too. We're going to keep it going. Thank you for all the feedback last week about it. You enjoyed that trip down memory lane, and we're going to do it for the foreseeable future. It seemed like everyone liked it. It was a unanimous hit. So that will be back at around 325. We'll go Inside the Vault and look at a classic MMAfighting.com interview. This one from back in the day before we were MMAfighting.com. And uh, this one also, like last week's, a no-brainer. A good one. One that helped put us on the map. At around 3.05, we're going to talk to Christoph Soshinsky. He is a now former UFC fighter, former MMA fighter. He made it official on Friday on Access TV. He officially announced his retirement, had some troubling things to say about his, uh, his current health status. And I want to talk to him about, you know, where he goes from here, what happened, why he's retiring now, and all that good stuff. Interesting note, by the way, Christoph, when he was on Here Comes the Boom, playing that character that uh, fought Kevin James in the uh, in the big UFC fight, Kevin James' character made it to the UFC. I, I believe, Twitter has told me this, that that event was UFC 176, the ill-fated UFC 176, the event that never happened. At 2.45, we're going to talk to Josh Barnett. Last week, of course, he won at Metamorris, the Metamorris heavyweight champion. Although, I don't think he received the belt. And now I want to know, when the heck is he returning to the UFC? When's he going to fight again? What's taking him so long? Last time he fought was late December of last year. His loss to Travis Brown, and he seems healthy. Whoops. He seems healthy, so why isn't he fighting? We'll find out. Danny Castillo will stop by at 225. He's fighting Tony Ferguson at UFC 177. He's now in the quote-unquote co-main event. After the UFC moved Demetrius Johnson versus Chris Carriasso to UFC 178. Of course, last time we talked to you, 
that card was still being headlined by John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. And now, so sad, the fight is taking place January 3rd after John Jones injured his meniscus and ankle, had surgery on Thursday. Kind of a bummer. So as a result, Danny Castillo, Tony Ferguson gets bumped to the quote-unquote co-main event. At 2.05, we're going to talk to Dean Thomas, who is in Macau. As I said, it's Tuesday morning over there. He's in Macau with Tyron Woodley, and he is a former UFC fighter who has now turned to coaching, but more specifically, a scout. He has a scouting program. People can hire him to scout their opponents. Very interesting stuff. And one of his clients is Tyron Woodley. And, of course, Tyron Woodley is fighting Dong Young Kim Saturday in Macau. So he's over there with him. I'm curious to hear what he has to say about this business that he is trying to get off the ground. And then at 1.20, we're going to be joined by the new Bellator president, Scott Coker, in his first extended interview since he took over that job, replacing Bjorn Rebney. Remember, it wasn't all that long ago. News came out that he would be replacing Bjorn Rebney, did that uh, conference call, which wasn't the biggest success because he didn't have a lot of answers. I'm told he has answers. I'm told we're not going to hear. We'll hit you up in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited to talk to Scott. First extended interview since taking over as Bellator president. But first, let us go to the Skype machine and welcome in our colleague over at MMAfighting.com. The one, the only Chuck Mindenhall who was in attendance on Saturday in Bangor, Maine for UFC Fight Night. Chuck, how are you? Good. What's happening, my friend? Oh, nothing much. Just another Monday afternoon here in New York. Let's get this thing over with so we can get on to Scott Coker, man. Yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) Um, I appreciate you coming on, as always. So you were in Maine. What was it like? The UFC's debut in Maine. What was the scene like? What was the buzz like? Tell us. Um, It was pretty good. Um, You know, it's a small building. Uh, I don't know. It was... It was sort of a strange event. It was kind of cool for me to go up to Maine. Uh, I got to go to Lewiston where, you know, the, the Ollie, Sonny Liston thing had happened, the Phantom Punch and all that kind of went through there. It was like a historic vibe. It's just like a town time forgot now. But, uh, you know, just knowing that that happened there, things like that, um, was kind of cool. Uh, Josh Nason was the guy who kind of reminded me of that fact when I was up there. So that was kind of fun. But the fights themselves, uh, you know, it was. I thought they were pretty good. It was interesting that we had – all decisions early on, then it went into this like uh, wreck mode with all these TKOs and KOs. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. The, the vibe was really good. They really loved Tim Bosch. Uh, it was like the first time I think I'd ever seen him get a standing O, you know, <laughs> as he came out. And it, people were just, you know, when he when he came back and won that, that place was, uh, was going crazy. So uh, that was really kind of cool to see that. Kind of funny, though, right? I mean, we were on the MMA beat on Thursday, and we were criticizing the UFC quite heavily for putting Makovsky, Formiga, and McMahon, Murphy on the undercard. And those fights ended up being duds compared to the fights they put on the main card, right? They did. Uh, particularly, you know, it was uh, McMahon in particular, I really wanted to see that fight on the main card. And the way that one played out was just, uh, you know, people were really, it was quiet in there during that fight. And uh, McMahon just uh, was doing what she does, but it was just not a lot of offense from the top. It was actually, it looked, it looked like Murphy was getting more offense from the bottom. It just, that, that type of fight, I mean, you, you sort of suspect that could happen. But um, ultimately, yeah, both those fights ended up not, not sort of living up to, I think, what we thought they were going to be. So do you think that A, Murphy should have won that fight, and B, Formiga should be the number one contender at 125? You know, I was going back and forth on them. I was surprised that more people weren't sort of blowing up about the Murphy thing because, you know, obviously, like I saw Mike, Mike Bond was there um, and he was kind of posting the, the stats as, the, as we were going. 
Uh, and it was it was interesting because you saw her with the volume from the bottom, staying busy. Uh, she was the one, the more offensive fighter. But um, that's that's a tricky one. I still probably would have given it to McMahon because it was it was her fight. She was still putting uh, Murphy into you know on the ground and into the danger areas. But it was tough. Uh, that was one of those ones like uh, like Doc Hamilton teaches you know to his guys when they're you know what to be looking for. If a person's on their back, doesn't necessarily mean they're losing, et cetera. So I remember Miguel Torres that time. Yeah. Um, there was that big controversy, those type of things. But I think I still would have went McMahon on the on the fight ultimately. Um, and as far as uh, Formiga, yeah, maybe. I mean, he he kind of like you know he slipped against Benavidez and. That's up. He's looked really good. I mean, and you're considering that Chris Carioso is uh, the guy who's up there right now. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would, I would say that he could be the number one contender. At least, you know, it's he, at least he's got some buzz behind his name. I guess it kinda, a little bit. Yeah, and and it kind of makes you wonder. Like, they really rushed Sarah McMahon, right? I mean, you think about where her stock is at now, and sure, it was, it was. It was pretty high going into the Rousey fight, but I think that was just because of her credentials as an Olympian. She hadn't really, you know, evolved or, you know, matured as an MMA fighter. And now you see her now against someone who's obviously not at the level of Ron Rousey. She was the Invicta champion, but it would have been nice if they waited like three or four more fights to give her that fight, right? It's clear now that it was a little too soon. And the conspiracy theorists, obviously there's like this whole faction of people who think that they protect Ronda Rousey, UFC protects Ronda Rousey and stuff. And therefore you're going to put... Uh, a, a legit threat like Sarah McMahon in earlier while she's still uh, a little greener. Yes. And, but, but at the same time, um, you know, I talked to Sarah McMahon about that, and she didn't feel like the timing was off, so why should anybody else? She thought that she was ready for that that shot, um, you know, whatever. Uh, I think now it's like it's good for her, uh, you know, 33 years old, to sort of have a goal to get back there. And ultimately, you know, given, you know, the relative dearth of, you know, contenders in that division and sort of where we, you know, how some of the bigger names that we want to see are not even in the UFC, I mean, yet. So, um, you know, ultimately, maybe she gets back there and then it becomes a bigger fight the second time through. Let's talk about Gray Maynard because uh, I think that was one of the big stories of the weekend. You wrote, as always, a great article about him after the fight on Sunday uh, on MMAfighting.com, just talking about, you know, whether or not this could be the end. I mean, that's three brutal losses in a row. And then when you, you couple the, 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 the Frankie Edgar knockout, which I think yeah. really started it all with those losses. I mean, this is a very tough stretch for a guy who at one time was so close to being the UFC lightweight champion. After this particular loss, the shots he took, the shots he has taken, yeah. do you think it's time for him to walk away? I think it is. It's really tough with Gray Manor. I mean, obviously, you've, you've talked to Gray Manor. You know what a great guy is. He's actually one of those guys who's very personal with the media. Um, I, spent, I spent some time with him in Vegas for a fight cover story I did uh, back in 2011. Met his mom, met his dogs, met his wife. You know, you, you go around and you see how he, you know, how much he, uh, he, how passionate he is about the fight game. You know, he takes care of himself outside of it, um, eats right, all that stuff. It's it's hard to see a guy go through that. Uh, so ultimately, when it happens, it doesn't. You know, it, it adds that sort of asterisk to the whole thing, where you're like, it, you're on eggshells watching a guy like that. He's coming off of some brutal knockouts. Everybody's wondering about his chin. Is he going to be able to hold up? Uh, and you get this kind of fight where suddenly he's supposed to be fighting somebody else who's not necessarily yeah. a big threat to knock him out, and then he's fighting Ross Pearson, who is, I thought, you know, a, a threat to knock him out, and it obviously played out that way. It became an eggshell affair for me. I was watching it, and you're like, Here, here's one of those ones that reminded me of, like, maybe when uh, Rich Franklin was fighting Chuck Liddell, one of those type of fights where you're like, you know, if Chuck gets, if he gets touched on the chin, is he going to go down? And sure enough, that's what happened. Um, and same thing in this fight. You just, you felt like a matter of time. You wanted to see him, if he took a big hit, how he'd respond. 
Um, he did. It looked like he took a, a, at least a good shot or two in the first round. He was really mixing up his uh, his uh, his attack. I thought was trying to incorporate his wrestling. Um, sort of. It looked like he was, um, you know, getting out of the way of big punches and stuff like that. But it, ultimately, when he got caught, you know, you you see him that that stare that he has. It, it's sort of it's just too familiar. He's sort of just parting wits, going down. Um, and I I love I love Gray Maynard, but yeah, I, if I was him at 35 years old. Kind of the trajectory things have happened. I would walk away. That's tough too with Gray Maynard. You know, this is a guy who that's all he knows is fighting. Three years right. old, he starts wrestling. His father is a collegiate wrestler. Um, he's named after Gray Simons, the you know the, from uh, from Lock Haven back in the 1960s. Every single thing about him is the fight game, uh, and for him to have to make that decision at 35 years old and step away, especially on the sort of downward spiral he's on, really tough. But I think that um, if I was him, that's what I'd do. But you know, it's far be it for me to to make right. that call for him. You know. We've had these situations come up before, and Dana White is asked in the post-fight scrums, do you think that this guy should retire? Will you ask him to retire? And, of course, he was asked this question about Gray Maynard, and he didn't come out like he has in the past about other people. He said he'll talk to him, but you know, he was kind of making a case for him, saying that he's a relatively young guy, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. Were you surprised yeah. by that? I was a little bit, but... Um... I was a little bit because we've seen Dana really, uh, you know, see somebody not like Chuck Liddell. He was begging him to stop. BJ Penn, he had no problem. You know, he's, you see him sort of intervening actually with guys' careers a little bit, persuading them to to step away. Um, it seemed like he was kind of giving Gray Maynard uh, a little bit more of a, a leeway in the in the matter. But he did say he would talk to him. Maybe he hadn't fully processed it, but. Um, I tell you what, I know Graham Maynard was taking the, the brain stuff very seriously. Uh, he he had been checked out, like uh, the UFC had sent him to South Dakota to kind of be checked up on uh, at, at the Sanford Medical Center out there and just go through a battery of neurological tests, make sure he was fit to fight, and they deemed he was. Um, but obviously, like you know, his, his his reaction time and everything else is just a little slower than it has been. Um, I know he he really did start falling in love with boxing. He was a very he's an aficionado of boxing. He was showing me all of his you know boxing collections back when uh, when I visited him in 2011. Um, I just don't I, I just don't think that uh, I don't think he has it anymore. You know, and uh, I maybe maybe Dana when he speaks to him will come to that realization as well. You know. You can't help but feel for the guy. So close to getting that title on two occasions, yeah. right? I mean, he was so close to that yeah. second fight against Frankie. The third fight as well, he had a great first round. And, you know, I, I just can't imagine how hard it is to come to that realization when you were that close to tasting gold. He was even in, yeah, he was even, he was even in the running when, uh, uh, when Frankie Edgar had fought Veach. He was, you know, he was yeah. fighting Nate yep. Diaz at the time, and he was in the running to get that shot against BJ Penn. You know, so it's like you, you could go back even further to where he was, uh, to you know, close. He just hovered around that position forever. He's like the perennial number one contender, and to sort of go out like that, it, it's rough. It's always rough. The fight game is cruel that way. Um, but you know, that's that that sort of the, the fact that you could fail, you know, is uh, is part of the allure. Yeah. Failure, the, you know, failure is part of the allure. So I think that that's one of those things that you know he just goes down. In the same way that so many others do, I mean, ultimately, the, that's where the fight path ends for most fighters is uh, they start to lose it and they have to walk away. The beauty, in a sense, of the fight game as well is that you say how cruel it can be, and it can be. It was very cruel to Ross Pearson not that long ago, and now here he is, <laughs> triumphant, and looks, you know what I mean? It's just, it's amazing yeah. how things can change. By the way, you really like that Matt Veach, Frankie Edgar fight. You bring it up all the time. Why do you like well, it so I, much? I, I still find it like the, a great hurdle. Well, we always have these arguments about <laughs> does this person deserve a right. title shot, and you always go back to you know the Matt Veach thing. Sure. So, 
And then look at Frank Yeager. I mean, he's still he's still up there. So was you know did he although, deserve it? Well, he did good things when he got there. Although some uh, very good point. Some people forget that he was supposed to fight Kurt Pellegrino on that card, right. who was on a roll. He pulled out. Veach stepped in. So uh, you know th- these things happen in MMA. So let's yeah. talk about the main event. Um, you know Ryan Bader wins the kind of fight that he usually wins. He usually wins those fights, and then he has yeah. trouble when he gets to the top. But to me, it felt like one of those fights that, for the most part, the UFC's decision to make all main events five rounds has benefited them. We've seen some great fights. This one felt yeah. like it didn't need to be five rounds, right? This is the exact problem I had with it when they announced they were going to do all, all five-round main events. Besides the obvious thing, if guys get, you know, if guys a late uh, replacement or something is not trained for five rounds, they have to shuffle things. All of a sudden, you're in a five-round fight. The obvious sort of uh, logistics that go into it, there are always going to be uh, the potential for duds where people don't want to, you know, three rounds seems like an excruciating long time to watch two guys do what they were doing the other night. Mm. Five rounds, that, that was bizarre. We were past one o'clock in Maine, um, <laughs> and the place was uh, alternately drunk and <laughs> quiet. I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it was very odd in there. By the time it sort of got to that point, it was just, it started taking on a surreal vibe. But uh, ultimately, yeah. I still think that they should. Uh, it shouldn't be as universal as it as it is, especially with the amount of cards they're doing. Um, I think that should it should be more of a case by case basis on those types of things. What do you do with the Ryan Bader? Because to me, the obvious thing was him versus Anthony Johnson. Once we found out that Gustafson was hurt and Cormier and Jones were going to fight in September, but now that they're fighting yeah. in January, it sounds like Dana White wants to do Gustafson versus Anthony Johnson. That's what right. he alluded to. So Bader kind of feels like the odd man out for a second. <laughs> He does, and it's weird. Um, you know, Ryan Bader, we, we've, we've talked about Ryan Bader before, but, I mean, he's one of those guys who sort of wins this type of fight. He yeah. wins against the OSPs. Um, he wins this kind of fight. You want to see what he can do against somebody who's not Machida, not Glover Teixeira. You know, like these guys that have – he gets to those big hurdles. He loses those fights. Tito Ortiz, the legend Tito Ortiz, <laughs> who beat him that time. Yes. Um, but uh, if I, I almost – in a, in a bizarre way, because he needs to sort of clear a hurdle, and you look at the if you look at the UFC rankings, you know Dan Henderson is right there. Dan Henderson needs a fight. Uh, Bader said he's going to go and check out, like you know, see what his injuries are. Uh, kind of alluded mm. to he might want to be on that December thirteenth card, the the next Fox card in Phoenix. I don't know. That that to me seems like wow. it sort of makes sense. I know Dan, Dan Henderson's coming off a loss, but he had a win prior to that. Right. Uh, I know a lot of people are sort of suspect as to where he's at, but. When a guy like Bader is sort of trying to clear a hurdle against a known guy, a guy who's up there in that in that strata, why not Dan Henderson? I mean, a guy like that it would make sense. And the fight to me is a little bit interesting too when you when you kind of contemplate it. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. Wow, I wasn't even thinking of that. That wasn't even. Did I blow your mind? Look at you, playing matchmaker. All right, how about this one? Well, as we're talking about matches being made, um, of course, John Jones Cormier not happening in September. And oh, is he gone? What happened? <clears throat> Chuck Mendenhall just dropped the mic, blew my mind, and walked away. I just wanted to ask him a couple more questions. That was very, that was very Chuck-esque. Um, we'll get him back here in a second, and in a minute we're going to be... Oh, there you are. You just dropped yeah. the mic. You blew my mind and walked away. <laughs> I don't know. what you, you froze? I thought we, I thought we lost each other. Um, I, I just wanted to ask, you know, they... they they didn't necessarily replace John Jones and Cormier. That fight is irreplaceable. But they added Donald Cerrone versus Bobby Green, and then they made Masvidal versus James Krause. They, 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 they've sort of 
you know, beefed up UFC 178 a little bit and, and shuffled the deck because uh, Masvidal was supposed to fight Bobby Green. Are, are you happy with this? Does this make you feel a little better than 178? Do those fights do anything for you? Uh, I like the Bobby Green Cerrone fight. I mean, it, it, you look at where Bobby Green has been, what he's kind of been able to do. He's, he keeps knocking off guys that people don't think he's going to be on the knockoff. I mean, to me, that's a that's a fun fight. I don't know if it necessarily... The problem was isn't necessarily them sort of fortifying those guys within those ranks a little bit. It's it's more just the, you know, the expectation, what was going to be sort of the fallout of that and the crater-sized hole that leaves to, to fill up. Uh, yeah, I guess it makes it a little sweeter. To, that that fight's more intriguing to me than what they what was going on before. But they'd also sort of dangled at one point that Eddie Alvarez against Cerrone, things like that. So yeah. I, I feel like we're, we, we continuously are just sort of hedging on our disappointment on these things. But at the same time, I do like the fight better. I don't know how much it adds to it, sure. ultimately, but uh, it's, it's still a little better. You know, this weekend there are two UFC cards, and a lot more, a lot more e- easy to digest, in my opinion, because there's a very early one in Macau, and then there's later, you know, later on that night in right. Tulsa. I love, by the way, those early morning ones, because I can wake yeah. up and just, you know, Saturday morning, it's very nice. The sun is rising. Your sun wakes up early anyway. It's oh, perfect. man, I... I Half my day is over by the time that card starts at 6.30. Um, top four fights, uh, obviously Bisping Lee and then Woodley, Dung Young Kim, and then in Tulsa, Dos Anjos versus Benson, Mia and Pyle. Of all those four fights, which one interests you most? Uh, probably the Benson-Henderson fight. Wow. Um, he just, he looked, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, he just he looked good his last time out. Um, it look, you know, he seemed like he had a little edge to him. I don't know. It's just this is an interesting stylish, stylistic matchup. Uh, I just, I just think it'll play out. It'll be a good fight. That's cool. all. I mean, it just, it seems like it's, uh, it just has that. You know, it, I think it's going to be an interesting fight when they're in there. That's, that's the only reason. But I, I guess uh, the Kung Lee, you know, Kung Lee fights. It seems like every, you know, couple <laughs> of years. So it's sort of like, I guess it's like it's an the attraction. There's a little bit of a novelty to see him fight, and um, and then Bisping obviously being sort of in a you know in a must-win situation. So uh, I guess that would be up there too. All right. Well, it happens uh, this Saturday. Double header for the UFC. Another one of those rare Saturdays where they're in one part of the world and then another part of the world on uh, Fox Sports One. Great stuff as always, Chuck. Appreciate it. We'll see you Thursday for the MMA beat. All right, guys. Take All right, care. there he is, Chuck Mindenhall of MMAfighting.com. Check out his article on Gray Maynard. Great stuff posted yesterday about uh, where the veteran goes from here. All right, uh, let us move along. As I mentioned, uh, it wasn't all that long ago Scott Coker became the new president of Bellator. Shocking news, replaced Bjorn Rebney. Of course, he has been around the fight game for quite some time. The, uh, the brains, the, 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 the father figure behind the Strike Force organization, and uh, he has been promoting combat sports for a very long time, and a lot of people thought that this was a huge coup for Bellator, and he hasn't really talked to the media, and trust me, I've been trying for a very long time, been trying to get him on this show, but he's been laying low, building things up, shuffling the deck, making some big uh, signings, and hopefully we'll get some more answers to those questions because right here, right now on the MMA Hour, Scott Coker, the president of Bellator, joins us right now on the show. Scott, you there? I'm here, Ariel. Wow, it is great to hear from you. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. We obviously have a lot to talk about, but uh, I just want to know, I mean, a few weeks into the job now, what's it like? How are things going? Boy, I mean, we're working really hard. I mean, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of been a whirlwind. I feel like I, I jumped on a train that's going 300 miles an hour. 
uh, and you know the difference between the strike force and and or building strike force and and uh, and coming on to Bellator is strike force we kind of built it as as we went and uh, it was a it was a comfortable pace and and uh, we had a small operation uh, and th- and this opportunity really when I jumped on it was like I was in vacation I was on vacation in San Diego and then the next day I was in MTV offices and uh, or Viacom offices in Santa Monica and uh, I don't think I've unpacked my suitcase. Wow. I came on board almost two months ago. And it's amazing. It's actually been exactly two months since they announced that you were the new president. And it seemed like as far as, you know, the media reports were concerned, it all happened very quickly. But honestly, like, when did it start? I mean, when, when did they first reach out to you? Because I know your, your deal with Zufa expired in March, and then this deal was announced in June. So just three months alone, I know it didn't start right away. How long did the whole thing take to actually unfold? I mean, I would say this. Um, there was probably several opportunities that came my way uh, while I was still in the contract. And I, I told Barry, I said, look, I, I, I'm, I'm employed by the USC, and, and I don't even want to have a conversation. And uh, this is my date that uh, I'll be free. And so right around that time, I started getting calls and, and started examining opportunities. And, and really, it was, it, was kind of, it was kind of like a, uh, I don't want to say a last-minute decision, but I was literally sitting uh, in San Diego, like I said, and, uh, and then I just said, you know what, I'm going to do this. Wow. And, but prior to that, you know, I got to meet Kevin Kay, who really is a fantastic uh, executive, and really got to know him, got to like him, feeling the vibe, and, and feeling his commitment behind mixed martial arts and feeling his commitment behind Bellator. Uh, and uh, then I got to meet some of the Viacom guys in New York, and not just from a Spike TV uh, commitment, but also from, you know, the parent company commitment. Uh, is behind this product, and so I started saying, you know what, the, you know, with our know-how of how, of how to build fights and and build fighters and and do arena events and do big shows and put on fights that I think fans want to see, which I think we, that's what we did in our in our past company, you know, bringing that expertise over here along with their TV platform, you know, I think it's, it, it, we could have done something great. And so I was sitting in San Diego and I just I, I literally woke up on a Sunday and said, you know what. I'm, I'm going to do this, and uh, retirement is overrated, so <laughs> don't go anywhere, Ariel, because uh, you're, you're not gonna, you're, it's, it's, there's more to do. So you were bored. And, uh, you know, this has been a, a big journey for me. I've been in the fight business promoting fights since 1985, and it's kind of taken me all over the place through, you know, kickboxing before MMA was legal, uh, to working for K1, working for uh, Strikeforce MMA as far as, you know, building, uh, you know, the, the first MMA company to, to, to do it in California before 06 wasn't legal. And, and then, you know, then working for, then selling to Zufa, working with Zufa for three years. And I just thought that, hey, this is, all, all the pieces are in place here. And I think that I could add a lot of value. And, and the staff here is amazing. They, they're, they're very good at what they do. And together, we're going to go and, and create some, some big events. You know, all that being said, I was surprised when this was made official because I always I always knew you were coming back to combat sports, kickboxing, MMA, something. You were going to do something. I didn't think that you were done. But I had the feeling that you would try to build your own thing because you've always kind of been your own boss. I know you've worked for others or you've had partners and whatnot, but I didn't see you going into a situation, which let's be honest, there were some issues. Uh, from a PR standpoint, there were some disgruntled fighters. The fans felt one way or the other about Bellator. I mean, there was a lot of work to do, and as you mentioned, it's like a speeding train. You had to just jump on. Uh, did, I mean, did you ever think, you know, maybe I'm just going to go do my own thing? This is very tempting, but that's those are some major shoe, shoes that you had to fill and, and do so in a very quick time. I mean, you had like a month later, you had your first show, and now here the, there's like a 12-week season coming up. Did it not entice you to start your own thing as opposed to doing this at one point? 
You know, I, and I think you and I talked about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, that was, that was definitely an option, and I had uh, several opportunities. But honestly, it was really Kevin Kay that, that uh, said, look, we, we really want you to come and help us get this thing going into the next level. And, you know, here's what we can do, and here's what we can, br- you know, bring as far as television, and, and this is who we are. And, and the more I got to really know who they are, I said, you know what, this, is, this might be that one opportunity in time that, uh, you know, could make a difference. And sometimes those magic opportunities, you have to pull the trigger or, you know, it could affect the whole MMA industry, you know, forever. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's tremendous opportunity with Viacom, all their assets, Spike TV. And, and, and think about the commitment of Spike, you know, behind mixed martial arts. Uh, you know, they were the partner to Tough and, and all those great fights that we saw, uh, you know, on Spike back in the day uh, with the UFC. I mean, you know, they, they did their half. And so, so now... They're wanting to stay in the in the fight business and stay committed to MMA, and uh, you know what? I just thought it was a great fit. Uh, is it a lot of work? Yes. It's like I said. It's like jumping on a train that's going 300 miles an hour. But, Arrow, you know how it is. We're, I mean, this is something that I think that you know we're, we're I'm built for. And you know, when you talk about the fighters and all these challenges, we're going to fix those. And and uh, you know, it's going to take time. And uh, when I when I think about uh, the possibilities and what this what this fighter roster can look like in 18 months compared to what it looks like today, I can guarantee you it's not, it's not going to be the same. Uh, it's not going to be the same picture. And I think that we're going we're gonna to build some more fighters from the ground up. I think we're very good star identifiers, star builders. And then, you know, as some free agents become available, then, you know, we'll probably um, acquire some free agents, you know, from time to time. And that's how we're going to build our roster. And that's, that's how we did it last time. And I think that uh, that's exactly what we'll do this time. Thus far, has it been tougher than you expected? I think the tougher thing was get, getting off a golf course <laughs> and then going right to work. Yeah. I mean, it, honestly, it was, it was like, really, I, I was down there vacationing in San Diego, and uh, then all of a sudden now, two days later, I'm, I'm in Viacom offices, and then here we go. A day later, I'm, I'm in front of, you know, the, the entire staff here at Bellator uh, that uh, really it's pretty amazing what, what they've accomplished and how hard they work because if you think about you know going week to week to week to week for 12 weeks yeah uh that's that's a grind and and they did it and so um you know I'm proud to be working with these guys and uh you know when you, when you talk about fighters I mean Errol, you know what it's always it's the same story I mean you're talking about the producer and the talent right mm-hmm. there's always going to be some some issues between producer or the production company and talent and that that that's just not in this industry it's in every industry uh, and you know, but I think that we're good at handling those situations, and and we're going to continue, you know, dealing with that. But uh, we're not the only league that in MMA that has to deal with that. And you know, people deal with it and then just move forward. So that's what we're going to do. I have some other big picture questions for you, but I want to put them on hold because there's some nitty gritty stuff that we've been dying to know about, and hopefully you can provide some answers here. The big one, right off the top, in my opinion, is. What's going on with Eddie Alvarez? I mean, there were some rumors that uh, the UFC was trying to book him to fight at UFC 178. Of course, that can't happen because uh, as long as he's a Bellator fighter, he can't go and fight for someone else. And, of course, we know about the history between Bjorn and him, and it's obviously been going on and on for quite some time now. He got injured, was supposed to fight not that long ago. I mean, we we just want to know, is there a future for Eddie Alvarez in Bellator? Is he going to fight one more time? There's one fight left on that contract, or are you going to part ways with him? And uh, and just you know, wash your hands of the situation and, and try to move on in a positive way. 
Well, I, I tell you, Eddie's a great kid. I sat down with him uh, one time, and, and basically he told me all the challenges he had with, you know, the past regime. And, uh, and you know, I totally got it. He's, you know, he, he is, uh, you know, he's a great kid. He's a great fighter. He, he definitely had a bad taste in his mouth uh, on a, double, a lot of different levels. And when he told me what happened, I said, you know, I don't blame you. It's, it's, I totally understand. But uh, right now, you know, where it's at today is, you know, Eddie's still a fighter under contract with Bellator. I know that, uh, you know, lawyers are involved, and, and that's something that happened way before I, I came on this company. And so, you know, right now I don't have an update for you on that. So you, you still want to keep him on the roster? You still think that there's a chance to work with him? Well, I think that uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, a guy like Eddie, if he, if he comes here and he fights, great. And, you know, we're not going to – but on the other hand, too, if we uh, have to rely on one athlete to, to make or break a company – uh, we're not going to focus on that either. So, you know, I wish I had more to, to discuss about Eddie, but honestly, Ariel, at this point, when lawyers are involved, hmm. you know, you, you want to get two lawyers in a room, then, you know, it just takes a long time to get stuff done. I had heard that you that there are a lot of people in the company pushing to just wash your hands of the situation. Good for PR, good for morale. He doesn't want to be there. He only has one fight left, and he's the champion. He can walk away with the belt. So, you know, if he doesn't want to resign, just move on at this point. There's a lot at stake. Um, and that it was all basically, you know, it came down to you, you're the president. Is that accurate? Well, I think that there's a lot of things to play because, you know, we're a television property. But, um, you know, it's, it's not just uh, one person's decision. I mean, it, it's going to be a collective decision. But, um, like I said, you know, I wish I had an answer for you. And, mm. and, and, and it goes back to, you know, there's, there's other people involved. And, and, you know, at this point, lawyers are talking to lawyers, and that's just where it's at. Okay. If you were a betting man... Would you say he fights that last fight for Bellator and maybe but, beyond? You know, I don't bet, so I can't. You know, but what do you think? What's your gut say? I don't know. What does your gut say, Earl? Well, I, you know, honestly, what I said was, if he's not going to resign, I think it's better for you guys to move on because, you know, why take the risk of having your champion walk away to another organization? And this reminds me to a degree of the Jake Shields situation. You know, he was your champion, but you got ahead of the situation and said, all right, we're not going to resign him. There's no future there. So we're just going to put it out there and move on as opposed to him getting up and going and you kind of being left like, oh, gosh, what do we do now? We have a vacant title. You know what I mean? Well, I would say this. I think all the options are open at this table okay. at this time. And, you know, I think we'll probably have an update for you by the end of the week. Okay. Really? By the, that, that soon? Yeah, we don't, we're not going to waste time here at Bellator. Okay. Um, you announced that you're back in the women's MMA business. Uh, you yeah. have been in the women's MMA business for a long time, but Bellator, last year they got rid of their, their final division, and now here we are, we're back and we're back at 145, which is interesting because, of course, that division is not in the UFC, and it's not a major division for Invicta. Why are you getting back into the women's MMA business? I think that if you look at our past, we've always believed in female fighting. I mean, whether it was back in the kickboxing days on ESPN, we were the first company, well, not we, but, you know, I, I was the first person to do uh, female fighting in the state of California in mixed martial arts which was the Corona versus uh, Elena Maxwell fight. Uh, and then, you know, we did some big fights. I mean, uh, Ronda fought for Strikeforce. And at the end of the day, I believe in it. I think that, uh, look, this is something that, you know, we were the pioneers behind female mixed martial arts. And uh, we were the pioneers of females fighting and kickboxing uh, in, the, in, in California. And so, 
it, it just seems like a, such a natural fit. And um, we started getting contacted by some of the, the top camps around the world and saying, hey, you know, uh, Marlis is available. She would like to come. And, and then uh, Julie Budd became available. And, and right now I know that uh, we're talking to two other girls right now that uh, hopefully we'll have on board soon. Oh, who, who are they? Um, I, can't top secret, us. I can't say. Okay, it. all right. Top, top secret. <laughs> but, um, no, but on a serious note, Errol, you know, we've always believed in it. I always thought that, look, I, I grew up in a martial arts school, and next to you would be, you know, kids and females and male. Everybody's, everybody's trained together. And I just think that, you know, there's, it shouldn't be separated. And I think that, you know, we set the tone. We, 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 we set the, you know, the precedent. And then look, what, look how popular it's become today. I mean, female fighting is, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely proven that it's, uh, can have star power and can draw big gates and big, big ratings. And, and at the end of the day, I, re- I really believe that uh, the female division will be a needle mover for us. Are you sticking with just 145, or will you be adding other divisions? We're going to add another division, oh. but uh, that might be in the next three or four months, and it'll be in a lighter weight. Which one? I can't say. Okay. Um, so since you bring in the 145s, obviously the two biggest names, you know them very well. You, you promoted that fight, Cyborg and Gina. Is it true that you have had some talks with Gina's camp about bringing her to Bellator? We've had uh, one, one quick conversation with um, uh, Brent and, and Scott, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that was it. And it was just one quick conversation, and you know, there was nothing really made of it. And I think that Gina uh, wants to fight at 35. Okay. Uh, and as far as Cyborg, uh, we, we haven't talked to her because she's under contract uh, fighting in Evicta, but if she ever becomes available, then uh, we'll, we'll have a conversation with her. So it doesn't seem like Gina at the Bellator is going to happen. 135 would mean going to the UFC, right? Well, we don't have a 135 division, and right. you know, I can't, I can't say what she's going to do or what she's not going to do because, you know, she's got commitments for films, and she's very busy, and you know, she has a, a good acting career. So, you know, it's going to be really up to her and her schedule. Okay, um, you know, you have this season starting on September 5th, and to me, it kind of feels a little lame duck because you say 18 months. I want to see what happens. This season was already in place, and it doesn't seem like it's the vision that you have for the future going week to week to week is that accurate i mean once the season is over are you going to go to a more traditional strike force like schedule well first of all i disagree with you on the lame duck uh fight because you look at the september 5th card i mean we we have fights on there that you know that will you know um that every that every hardcore fan will want to see as well as the casual fan will want to see uh with you know current and pitbull and and um, and then you know King Mo and and Czech Congo and and then you know rounding off with Bobby Lashley I think our TV our TV uh, side of that card is going to be a fantastic card mm. um, so you know I think it's going to be that that fight card right there could have been an old fight uh, strike force fight card mm-hmm. um, but going into next year yeah we're going to take a step back and we're not going to go week to week to week to week I think it's very difficult to promote and be an effective promoter especially on the live event side. Uh, to go week to week like that. So we're going to take a step back. We're going to go to a format that um, does fights. We're going to do fights once a month. Okay. Uh, and, then, uh, and then three or four times a year, we're going to do big, big tentpole events, which will be in the, in the, in the bigger arenas and uh, have all, all, all the, you know, the top needle movers on there. So does that mean around 15 or so events or the three or so events? Is that uh, part of the 12? We're going to have 16 events next year. 16. Now, uh, when you mention those events, are any of those pay-per-view? Um, right now, uh, we're going to, we're going to go into, um, 
uh, we're going to bring it back to Spike TV. And we had a conversation about uh, that with Kevin the other day, and uh, we both agreed that, look, uh, let's put them in front of 100 million homes, uh, potential households, and let's, and let's grow this property on Spike. Uh, will there be a time for pay-per-view? Yes. I think the last pay-per-view was fantastic. I think the ratings are, or the, the buy rates are great. Uh, but, um, you know, when you can have, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 people watching your product, why, why not have a million five or, yeah. you know, three million people watching your product? Uh, to me, it's, uh, it's going to be an, uh, an ad sales-driven product and sponsorship-driven product. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think that uh, that's the way to go for us uh, in the near future. Are the tournaments done? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, Aaron, you know I love tournaments. Yes. You were the first guy I sent that heavyweight <laughs> tournament to. Yes, I know, but not in, this uh, frequently where it gets all confusing. There's like two contender. I mean, it, it was going to be a lot to handle. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. We'll put on the tournaments when, when we're ready. But what that tournament looks like, I'm going to leave it open because uh, I'm going to keep our options open. You know, we, we did that fantastic uh, heavyweight Grand Prix. Yeah. But we also did uh, the tournament that Misha Tate won, which was a four-female yeah. tournament all the same night. Uh, as well as the one that uh, we did in San Jose with the middleweights all in one night. So we've done it in many different ways. And uh, I got to sit down with Kevin and everybody here in the office, and, and we'll decide what that tournament looks like. But uh, to say we're getting out of the tournament business, I would say is incorrect. But uh, we will have uh, maybe a different look, a different feel uh, to, what, to what we're going to do as far as tournaments in the future of this company. So only when it, it is warranted, when it's a, a big deal, not just to create the next contender. You don't have to, basically, you don't have to win a tournament to get a title shot anymore. That is correct. We're going to be in the star building and put on big super fight business. Um, speaking of which, are you interested in Kimbo Slice? Am I interested in Kimbo Slice? You know what? I think that there was a conversation uh, that uh, one of our matchmakers had with him, but I, th I think he's pretty much done. I think he's retired. Mm. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what, what his position is, but I, I, don't, I don't think that uh, there was any interest. Two of your biggest names, Rampage Jackson, Tito Ortiz. Rampage seemed a little lukewarm on you when, it, when the news first came out. Have you had a chance to talk to him, patch things up, and what do you think is next for him? Well, you know what? Um, he doesn't have a fight scheduled right now. Uh, he told me that he uh, street Googled me, <laughs> yeah. and he's checking me out. <laughs> So, it seems like awesome. you have a good rep, right? It seems like the results came yeah, up well. I'm getting street cred now. Yeah, that's, look you know, at you. Uh, who would have thunk it? Right? <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, you know what? It's uh, I'm getting to know him, and uh, you know what? It's been an interesting conversation, and the guy is, has a lot on his plate right now. He, you know, he he just opened a new gym, and he's got all these other business opportunities, and he's a brand in itself. And uh, you know, but we'll have that conversation when when the time is right about uh, getting him back in the cage. Okay, so you think, though, that he will fight for you. Like, he's not going anywhere, right? Yeah, he's, he's not going anywhere. What about Tito? Oh, he's, Tito's great. He's you, in you, Thailand training right now. You, you love Tito, right? Yeah, Tito and I have had a, a good relationship for a long time. So um, he's in Thailand training right now, and, um, you know, we, we actually don't uh, have the fight set, date set for him either yet. But uh, hopefully we'll have something to announce, you know, in the next week or so. What about the opponent? Same thing. His, his fight's not set. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You know, you guys, uh, you were very quick to uh, release War Machine after everything that happened with him, yeah. which uh, you deserve, I think, a lot of credit for that. You, 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 you needed to do that. Um, what was, was that a no-brainer? Did you guys have a discussion to maybe, you know, wait and see what happens? What was the thought process there in releasing him right away before all the details even came out? 
Yeah, I mean, I was getting details okay. uh, probably a little quicker than some people, but, uh, you know, when, when, we, when we saw what happened, you know, we said that's it. And we're not going to be associated with that. And, uh, you know, I, I feel for his, uh, his, his, his girlfriend, and, and uh, you know, I, I think they just caught him yesterday mm-hmm. or the day before. Friday. So I think that, uh, you know, he's got a lot of other things to worry about other than fighting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's pretty much what I have to say. Uh, what are you going to do about the whole Will Chandler, Michael, uh, oh, Will Chandler, Will Brooks, Michael Chandler, and Eddie is a part of that picture as well, that, right. that, the whole lightweight title picture. What are you going to do there? Uh, once we, once we uh, figure out the Eddie piece of this, then uh-huh. we'll figure out the other part of that. So it could go a couple of different ways. But uh, right now, it's, you know, we can't make one move or another um, until you know, we, we figure this other part out. And, but like I said, I think that, that will, that's something that will happen uh, you know, ho- hopefully this week. You know, speaking of which, we had always heard from managers, from fighters, off the record, people talking, the morale seemed very low. It seemed like a lot of people just, for whatever reason, weren't a fan of working for Bjorn Rebney. What was your take when you started to take the temperature of the roster, of the office, of the the employees? Were you shocked to hear about how unhappy people were, how unhappy they were working for this guy, doing deals with him? I mean, what was it like coming in there replacing? Because that's why I thought this was so interesting. You have a very good reputation. You're the kind of promoter which is somewhat rare in combat sports where people seem to want to root for you and see you succeed. And one of the things that I thought was holding back from a PR perspective, from a you know a, 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 you know, a perspective of wanting to root for the, the company, was Bjorn. People just, for whatever reason, didn't like the guy. So what was it like when you actually started to hear the war stories from behind the scenes? You know, there, there's definitely some war stories here, <laughs> but you know, I can't really comment on that because I, I didn't know Bjorn. I never met him. You know, we had that one incident with uh, when he had Eddie and he called me on, on the Gilbert Melendez thing. Yes. Which I would probably would have handled differently, but it is what it is, and, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. And when I, when I came in here, I just wanted the staff to know, look, there's tremendous opportunity here, and, you know, we know what we're doing. You guys know what you're doing. Spike TV knows what it's doing. Together, we're going to go do this. And, you know, it changed the philosophy of maybe how we all worked. It changed the dynamics of how we all work together. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that um, I didn't even think about. I just looked at it like an opportunity because with, with Spike TV saying, look, you know, Kevin Kay pretty much saying, hey, look, you know, we, we want you to, to run this thing, and, you know, we believe in you, and here's, here's the parameters of what, which, what, what we can do, what we can't do, and, and here's the budgets. Go do your thing. And I said, fantastic. Like, you know, turn me loose. Because uh, the one thing I can guarantee, you know, you know where to find Spike you know where to find Spike mm-hmm. uh, MMA. You find, I mean, Spike TV. You know where you know where to find Bellator. It's on Spike TV every Friday night at nine o'clock, and um, you know. And, and the one thing that Spike, the Bellator, will always have is you know it'll have a TV deal as long as Viacom wants to uh, to have it because they own the network. So to me, it was reassuring. I said, okay, these guys are committed. They 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 want to double down, so to speak, on MMA, and then now it's my job to go push this this train forward. Bjorn reach out to you when this all happened. I mean, this was his baby, and it's got to be tough, good or bad person. It's got to be tough to see it go away to someone else, right? You know, he didn't, and I and I tell you, I would love to have a conversation if you ever wanted to have one. I'd just tell him, you know, from my perspective, and but 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 let's talk let's talk about this. I mean, you know, hey. Uh, I sold Strike Force to the UFC, yeah, and there's no more Strike Force, right? That and so that it, 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 it makes me sad in a lot of different ways. 
but in this situation, at least he could always be the founder mm-hmm. of Bellator, and and it will continue to live and thrive, and has you know great ownership uh, that that own networks, and you know I think with our know-how here, we're gonna we're gonna push us to the next level, and he'll have something to be proud about, uh, you know, for years to come. By the way, I've been dying to talk to you since your contract expired with Zufa because when you were doing those, you know, when, when Strike Force was being run by Zufa, it was it was very tough to speak to you because you knew that we couldn't really talk about everything, and you were your hands were somewhat tied. But now looking back from when it was announced that the company was being sold and you had to work for them for three years, and they they kind of turned your Strike Force into something else. How difficult was that for you? Would you have preferred to just walk away and and not be involved with the new strike force? Was it was, was that did that add insult to injury? No, not at all. I, I don't look at it like that. I mean, to me, I think the hardest part of of seeing the company was the dismantlement of the fighter roster, and and then also you know the staff the the staff leaving. I think those are the two hard things, and and uh, you know it takes a long time to put that fighter roster together. And I think we had an amazing. I mean, look at look at who's fighting in the UFC today. I mean, mm. a lot of their top talent is guys that came up through Strikeforce, uh, or that were our stars that are fighting over there. So, you know, to me, it's a it's a validation uh, and not an insult as to what we did, what we accomplished, and you know what's happening today. And uh, you know, we're going to bring that over here, and we're going to bring that philosophy over here, and we're going to we're going to build it over here. Was there any talk of you sticking around after the contract expired and working in some capacity with them? Uh, no, there was not. Were you happy about that? Uh, I would say this. I think that um, you know uh, they have a very good operation. They know what they're doing. They're very smart people, um, and they're very good to me, Ariel. They did everything. Everything they said they were going to do, they did, mm-hmm. and they honored their word on on, on every front. So, um, you know, I, I felt good about that. But. You know, I, I live in the Bay Area, and, you know, they were operating everything out of Las Vegas, and it just, and I wasn't going to move, and there was just really, I mean, we all do, I think, at, at the end of the day that, you know, after the three years was over that, you know, I was going to stay in the Bay Area, and they're going to keep doing their thing, and, and who knew at that point what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, I, w- I would say that's kind of the picture uh, of how it went, went down. Is Bellator moving to the Bay Area? Uh, Bellator is not moving to the Bay Area. Okay. Bellator is uh, here in Orange County, and we have these palatial offices. You should come down and visit sometime. It's amazing. It's you like, know, back in the day, I wasn't really, I wasn't invited. I wasn't a favorite of Bjorn, so this is, this is the first for me to be actually invited. Well, you should come down because these offices are amazing. I walked in here and I was like, holy moly, these, geez, these offices are like five times as big as the Strikeforce offices, <laughs> and they're palatial. It's one of the nicest buildings in, of any MMA company that I've been to. So how, what are you going to do as far as, you know, your, your roots, your home, Bay Area, companies in California, in, you know, in, in Southern California, what are you going to do? Well, it's an hour flight, okay. and I've just been commuting back and forth, All right. and uh, I'm down here Monday through Thursday, and come home for the weekends, okay. and, uh, and uh, you know, that's kind of how I, I've, been, I've been doing it for the last two months. You brought in Rich Chow, who I'm a very big fan of. He's a matchmaker, and Sam Kaplan, uh, he announced that his contract has expired. Are you bringing in any other former Strike Force employees? Um, uh, right now, no. That's it's, it. It's uh, the staff that you see here is is the staff that will be here, and uh, I thought Rich was a a great opportunity uh, for us to take um, uh, to pick him up and, and have him and bring his brain trust to this company and Carrie who's been you know uh, with us for 15 years she is very good at what she does so uh, she's going she's to be part of this but there's a lot of good people here and there's a lot of hard working people here so 
um, this is this is where it's at. I'm 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 working out of Irvine, California, and like I said, it's an hour flight. It's like a commute to San Francisco. Uh, if I was driving and I had to work in San Francisco from San Jose, it'd be an hour drive, and and so it's pretty much the same type of commute. There's a fighter on the roster named Frodo Kaspulayev. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with his situation, but he actually tweeted to me late last week saying that he'd like to be released because he hasn't been able to fight due to con- uh, visa issues. And he was supposed to get a title shot, et cetera, et cetera. Are you familiar with his story? Will he be released? Yes, I'm familiar with the story. And, you know, it was actually something that was brought to my attention probably a month before he came out and, uh, and was asking for the release. Uh, and and here's, here's my thought on it. We're, we're looking to see if we can fix the visa situation okay. and really find out, you know, if there's absolutely no way that he can come into America. And, uh, you know, once we, once we figure that out, then you know, we'll make a decision based on that information provided by the government. Your next fight card is September 5th, and that's the same night as a UFC, uh, also taking place in the same state, 10 miles apart, Mohegan Sun for <laughs> Bellator and, uh, and, and Foxwoods for the UFC. What do you make of this situation? And interestingly enough, I just want to know, you guys announced recently that you were moving back the start time to not coincide with the main card of the UFC. Uh, did you do that because you don't want to be combative or confrontational? Or did you think that was, I mean, what, 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 what is the thinking there in terms of moving it back and also being in the same state on the same day as the UFC? Well, boy, there's there's a lot of different questions okay. in that one sentence. So okay. let's start with let's start uh, with the the start time. Why did you move it back? Yeah, that was a television decision. Okay. So um, you know that was something that uh, Spike TV wanted to do, and I think it's great. It's did, gonna be a, it's gonna be a good show. We'll get started an hour earlier. Yeah. And um, it's uh, I think that uh, now the fans can see both 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 shows, and I think that. Uh, uh, it'll, it'll be a, a great night of action for MMA fans, you know, tuning in. Did Bellator go to Connecticut on the same day to go head-to-head with the UFC? Or if they didn't, do you believe the UFC did this to go head-to-head with Bellator? You know what? Um, I, I, I just believe it's a scheduling issue. Look, we both have businesses to run. Uh, I believe that, from what I understand, Bellator uh, had already done the deal. Uh, but uh, what they didn't know was, and this was before I got here, but and what they didn't know was that the UFC was talking to Foxwood. So I think it's just a, a coincidence. Uh, but what I want to know, Errol, is which one are you going to go to? Oh, wow. Look at you putting me on the spot. Well, it is a Fox Sports 1 event, and I do work proudly for Fox Sports 1. So uh, maybe unfortunately for you, fortunately for me, I will be at Foxwoods covering the UFC event. How do you feel about that? We can always sneak over. Yeah. Oh, you're going to do a sneak attack. Like the old no, WCW? Over. Oh, well, well, I don't know. How about you come to the UFC event afterwards? I'm sure they'd welcome you with open arms. Well, you know what? Um, that's something that if I, if you know, after the the, the press conference and um, you know, if we don't have any other meetings and then uh, and I can think over the hey, that that event looks like a strike force event to me. Yeah, Edgar Musashi fighting Jacare, Alistair Overeem fighting Ben Rothwell. I yeah. mean, you know, it looks like a part of my old regime there. I like that you uh, you still keep tabs on the UFC. Of course. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I love martial arts. And to me, it, it was something that, uh, you know, why wouldn't I? Uh, they've got great fighters. They've got great fights. And, and I'm a fan. Okay. I, I buy the pay-per-views. Uh, still. still to the, so, so you're very, you're very different than the guy you, uh, you succeeded because Bjorn said he no longer bought the pay-per-views. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't believe in that. Look, this is a martial arts industry, and we're all contributing uh, into this industry as a whole. And, um, you know, uh, believe me, having, having uh, Spike TV and Viacom behind martial arts and, um, 
you know, having 150 people on the fighter roster uh, and, and, and supporting all the people that are working here. I mean, you're helping the industry, and, and, and really, that's, to me, that's, this, this has been a lifelong martial arts journey, and, you know, and I'm, I'm proud to, to continue it and be, you know, uh, with Spike TV and, and Bellator. It's going to be, I think, a great opportunity. I think we're going to create a big impact. And, you know, and, and it's something that in, in 18 months, two years, uh, you'll see a much, much different property. Five more quick minutes with you. Let me ask you this. If you were in charge, would you have handled the Ben Askren situation the way it was handled? Would you have let him go? You know, I don't know all the details on that, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, so I really can't comment. But um, so I'm not, I don't I Will don't, you I'm try to sure. get him back when he's a free agent? Or are you interested in him? I think I think I'd have to talk to Rich and okay. Zach and and see what the situation is because honestly I I you know I I I know I know I've seen him fight a couple of times but you know I haven't followed his whole career that much and and I know he's over at One FC and he seems to be happy there so I wish him luck. Do you know when Paul Daly will return? Uh yes, Paul um pending his September 12th fight in uh London. Yep. Uh, if he's okay, we're going to be fighting uh, him uh, in mid-November here okay. in America. Do you know against who? Um, Come on, give I, us something, I can, I can tell you the fight that I'd like to put together. Okay, tell us, tell us. Uh, you know, we, got, we had conversation with Melvin Manoff about dropping down oh. in weight. Yeah. So I'd like to put Manoff versus Daly together. But isn't Manoff fighting Doug Marshall? Yeah, so if he doesn't get hurt, Paul doesn't get hurt, ah. then we'll put that fight together. Okay, interesting. You know who I'm really high on? I enjoy this man very much. He's also another Englishman, Michael Page. You know this guy? MVP. Yeah. Very exciting. When's he going to return? Um, you know what? I, I'd have to talk to Rich and get back to you, but uh, soon I, I call him the uh, Michael Jackson of MMA. <laughs> he is very entertaining. I like him. He had a great performance. <laughs> so entertaining. Um, you know, those, those, are, those are the fighters that I love, and those are the fighters that you know we try to to book in, in strike force fighters that had character fighters that had personalities fighters that we could build off of and uh you know i'm looking forward to to getting him back in the cage and and uh, and, and 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 for him to grow and prosper in, in in our league and become a star who's on the scott coker free agent wish list if you can go out and put these guys uh you know on your roster and secure them and build with them the company who would that be well, my first free agent I'd sign is Ariel Hawani. Yeah, well, and, uh, I don't know if my could, services are available. Anthony here in the office. And <laughs> oh, I would we'll, take Anthony down. I would lay the <laughs> smack down on Anthony. Although he's got a great beard, I'll give him that. <laughs> no, I mean, you know what? How, how I look at it is uh, maybe a little different than some other people because to me it's not, you know, you could be a great fighter, but, you know, we want you to be a great entertainer as well. We're looking for personalities. We're looking for characters. Uh, and we're looking for some of the best talent in the world. So, as free agents become available, we're, we're going to talk to them, uh, but we're not going to be, you know, getting involved in any kind of uh, conversations before that. Would you be interested in Mayhem Miller? Boy, that's a that's a touchy. That takes me right back to the CBS event. That yeah, I, yeah, it's true. Boy, I'm starting I'm starting to shake over here. <laughs> well, you know, he said he's coming back, and he does have a history with Viacom. I know he's very controversial, but. You know, I'll tell you, it's worth a conversation okay. because, uh, you know, everybody deserves to have a second chance. But, uh, you know, uh, he's a great fighter, believe me. It's just uh, I just hope he's, he's okay. Uh, and uh, if he's okay, then, you know, we could, we could take a more serious uh, step. But the first step would be, you know, 
Is, is he okay? That's really, that's really mm-hmm. what it comes down to. Okay, here's my final question after okay. uh, peppering you with questions for the last 40 minutes, and I appreciate the time very much. A few weeks ago, on this very show, we had a guy by the name of Paul Heyman on the show. You know him, right? Yes. He told us a fascinating story about meeting you, doing some, uh, some he was going to do some PR for your Grand Prix show in New Jersey. And in that conversation, he said that he told you that he thought the UFC was going to try to buy the organization. And he said that you got spooked, quote unquote, and then just kind of fell off the face of the earth, didn't contact him, and you really haven't talked since. Why is that? What happened between you and Paul? Because you guys had a relationship. Yeah, Paul, we, we're going to hire Paul to, to do marketing uh, efforts in New York. And then, uh, and I like Paul, and he's doing, he, did, he actually did some amazing stuff with EA Sports. Yep. Uh, he did those um, pieces with Kung Lee and Frank Shamrock, and and I think that uh, Fedor uh, was was part of that. But you know, he did some great work, and so we're going to hire him. And then we started talking, and, and and what he said on your show is absolutely correct. And and to me, at that point, we were already down the road with uh, Zufa, and I was like, oh, is there a leak going on here? I told my partners about it, and you know, they just said, hey, you, you need to step back. And, and that's what I did. But I do owe him a phone call, Paul. I apologize. <laughs> I owe you a call. And uh, the next Korean barbecue is on me. Yes, you were at a Korean barbecue restaurant. You remember that? <laughs> he mentioned that. Yeah, you can come to the next one. It's, it's, I wasn't invited. We just got some great Korean barbecue. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Scott, we have taken up all your time. Thank you very much. Good luck with everything. The next Bellator event, September 5th. Very close to here in Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun. Uh, keep us posted on uh, Eddie Alvarez. You left us hanging with that one, so we're, gonna, we're still going to pepper you with questions. But we look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the uh, next 18 months to two years with uh, Bellator. And I think you're, you're the man for the job. So best of luck to you. We wish you well. And we hope that now you can come on the show more often like the old days because we've missed you. Well, I tell you, I, uh, I appreciate that, and I will. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to tell you one thing, Errol. i got a top-secret thing that I'm what? working on, oh. just like that heavyweight tournament Yeah. idea that I share with you. Yes. But I'm not going to share with you until I see you in person. I'll show you on my <laughs> iPad. Fair enough. And you know I can keep a secret, right? Pardon me? You know I can keep a secret. Yes. Um, I, uh, I, do, I do, do know that you did keep that secret, so I have to give it to you. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. All the best. All right, buddy. All right, there he is. Scott Coker, the president of Bellator MMA, stopping by. Was hoping to gain some kind of clarity on the whole uh, Eddie Alvarez situation, but it sounds like the end might be near in the sense that we might know, will he have a future? Will he not have a future with Bellator? I think it's time to figure that situation out. I mean, what is taking so long, right? Sounds like he's close to being 100% that he's healthy. So what is taking so long? Let's, let's just know if the guy's going to fight one more time or not. But you have to understand, I mean, jumping into a situation like that when you got contracts, people unhappy, you got this season, 12-week season, which seems like a, a, a hellacious amount of fights to book in a very short around, amount of time. Um, you have to understand that. It, I, I, I get it. It takes some time. That, to me, seems like the biggest one, but interesting stuff. Doesn't seem like he's all that interested in Kimbo Slice. Doesn't seem like Gina is going over there. So hopefully you found that that was uh, educational enough. And uh, it's good to hear from Scott. Been a while. All right, let us move along. The UFC is back in Macau this Saturday. It's an early start, 6.30 a.m. on the Fight Pass. That's the prelims. And then the main card is also on Fight Pass. And that kicks off at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Now, the main event is Michael Bisping versus a guy that 
Scott Coker knows very well, Kung Lee, in the co-main event, and this, in my opinion, I know is very critical of the word co-main event. This, in my opinion, is the this is a, this is a proper co-main event. You, you can call this a co-main event, in my opinion. This is Dong Young Kim, who is coming off that great win over John Hathaway in March against Tyron Woodley. Now, Tyron Woodley last fought in June, so not that long ago. He fought Rory McDonald, if you recall, in Vancouver, British Columbia, UFC 174, and uh, he lost that fight. And a lot of people thought that a win over Rory could put him maybe one win away afterwards from being the top contender in the 170-pound division. Uh, it was not a great performance by Tyron Woodley. And afterwards, UFC President Dana White even said that he thought that he choked in the fight. Uh, why do I bring all of this up? Well, one of the guys who is a part of Team Tyron Woodley is a guy by the name of Dean Thomas. Dean Thomas retired from mixed martial arts not that long ago. He last fought in April of 2013, lost to Georgie Karkanian at Legacy Fighting Championships 19. And this is a guy who had been in the UFC. He has uh, had a pretty solid career. I mean, made his MMA debut back in 1998. And, and he retired after UFC 168, saying that what he saw happen to... Anderson Silva and Josh Barnett put a light on in his mind. You know, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to get brutally knocked out. I don't want to see my leg snap. I, uh, I want to go out on my terms. So what he did was start a scouting service, if you will, where fighters can hire him to say, all right, I'm fighting fighter X next week. I want you to give me, or not next week, maybe in a couple months, I want you to give me a scouting report on this guy. The same thing that you would see in other sports, baseball scouts, you'll send out a guy to scout a, a prospect, an opponent, et cetera, et cetera. So he wanted to be in many ways like a Mike Dolce for scouting. Fighters hire him and he would put together the report, help you train for the fight, maybe even be in your corner. And thus far, it seems to be doing quite well for him. One of his clients is Dean, excuse me, is Tyron Woodley, and he's in Macau with him right now, getting ready for that fight on Saturday, and he's joining us via the magic of Skype, where it is very late or early, depending on your sleeping habits. There he is right there, Dean Thomas, joining us from beautiful Macau, China. Dean, how are you? I'm good, man. What's going on? Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's 2 a.m. Tuesday morning in Macau. How tired are you right now? I'm not that tired, you know. My my sleeping pattern has been has been jacked up for a while now because I spent a lot of time in Germany and being in the states, and now I'm here in in Asia. So I'm used to kind of just being around and not really sleeping on any type of set pattern anyway. Okay, well I appreciate that very much. Uh, how is Macau, by the way? I saw you tweeting about Hong Kong. It seems like you're a big fan. I mean, what's it like being there? And is there any kind of buzz for the UFC? I mean, a gigantic place, millions and millions of people. What, what kind of buzz is there for the UFC? Well, right now, you know, we just got here in Hong Kong. Uh, the buzz for the UFC hasn't really been, uh, I haven't really seen it yet. Um, but just being here in Hong Kong is crazy. Like, I've never seen any place like this. Like, it, to me, it makes New York City look like a small city. <laughs> I mean, it's just buildings, like the height and the how, how they expand. The buildings are just is massive. I've never seen anything like this. I'm sure that we, we go to uh, Macau on Wednesday, and that's oh, where the UFC is. Okay. At. So I'm sure that the buzz will be a little, a little bit more intense the closer we get to Macau. 
Okay, my apologies. I thought you were in Macau already. You're in Hong Kong now. Good to know. Great view and back of you. We appreciate that very much. So you're with Tyron Woodley. And, uh, you know, I, I want to get into his fight specifically in a second, but it wasn't all that long ago that you announced that you were retiring and that you were going to start this scouting service, if you will, where fighters can, you know, approach you, hire you to put together a scouting report. And I found this to be fascinating. A few months in, how's it going thus far? Do you have a lot of clients? Do you feel like this is benefiting fighters? Is your track record proving to be a good one? I mean, w w what's going on with it? How, how's it progressing? Yeah, man, you know, I think it's a great service. The track record is, is proven, you know, I've won a lot more fights than we've lost. Um, and the fights that we've lost, I can pretty much pinpoint why. You know, maybe the guy just wasn't able to do it. Maybe he didn't listen to the report and was thinking on his own, like, you know, I'm good. You know, I'm better than this guy, just naturally better. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes guys can be naturally better and just win fights just on being better, more physical. But the reality is that if you're smarter and you know what's going like, it's like playing cards and knowing what the other guy's got in his hands. So, and I, and, and the reason why we came up with this idea, me and Roly Delgado, was the fact that Roly told me he was scouted once and got knocked out because of it. And then when I looked at my career, I, I realized that, you know, I was losing because guys were scouting me. So, um, and I wasn't really doing much about it. So, uh, you know, I think that the service that we offer is great. I, I don't think there's anybody who watches more film than me when it comes to watching a guy and studying and breaking a guy down. I watch you know, just watch fights over and over, different guys, and um, and put together the game plan for, for guys and help them out. Uh, right now, the majority of my clients are ATT guys just because, you know, they know me and they trust me. And I think that, that might have been an issue, actually, is that most guys probably wouldn't want to put trust in an outside source. Uh -huh. But because I'm an outside source, I think it's even more beneficial because I'm going to be impartial, and I'm going to tell you like it is. So you're not affiliated with the ATT guys. In other words, if I'm fighting a guy who's not a client of yours but is a member of ATT, you'll still take the job? Uh, or is that weird? Just, I don't know. I don't think I would scout an ATT guy. I, I couldn't do that to them. Okay. So that's, the only, that's the only thing that I, I kind of stay away from is, is scouting ATT guys or I don't scout guys that I've already worked for. Yeah. So, like, uh, I, I worked for uh, Jordan Mean. I actually did his a report for Jordan Mean against uh, Hernani Perpetuo and... Um, and I wouldn't scout him for Tiago Alves, actually, when Tiago wow. was scheduled to fight. And Tiago is a good friend of mine, but I wouldn't do that to, to Jordan Mean for that reason. But won't that prove to be troublesome in the future? Because the more clients you get, the more fights you start to scout, that's going to start knocking off a lot of people off the list, right? Yeah. I think it would, you know, by that time I may be, I may have moved on to another business. So. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> but enough. But for now, you know, I'm, I'm having a good time with it and, and I'm a, I, you know, after doing this and watching fights and studying, I'm I'm a lot better, a lot better of a coach now because of it. And are you in their corner all the time, or sometimes you just give the scouting report and then walk away? The majority of times I just give the scouting report and walk away, and I leave it up to them or their coach if they want me to to add on to it. I will. I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, a lot of the guys that I work with in Germany. Uh, Daniel Weichel, for example, I, I coached, I did scouting reports for him through the whole featherweight tournament, which he just decimated everybody in it. Um, but I didn't go to any of the fights. I worked with him and I did the reports for him and uh, all the fights, he made them look easy. So uh, break it down for me. Let's say I'm fighter X. I'm going to fight at UFC 182 in a few months 
and I come to you. I'm not fighting an ATT guy. I, I, I've, you know, I'm not fighting a guy that you've worked with before. A fresh, you know, a clean slate here. And I say, Dean, I want you to prepare a scouting report on my opponent, Mr. Y. What are you giving me? How long does it take for you to put this together? And what am I getting in return from you? Um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll take the opponent and I'll watch as many videos as I can of him as far as fights, interviews. I'll research his background, what his mentality is like. And I'll let you know, you know, how tough of a person he is. Um, and then I go through all his fights. I look for, I mean, I go back as far as I can because the one thing I know about fighting is that bad habits are hard to break. And some people say, oh, yeah, the fights from five years ago aren't relevant. But they're very relevant because if a guy's been making a mistake for the last five years, it's very unlikely that he's going to be able to correct that within the next couple of months. So I go back as far as I can on fights and I watch each fight, you know sometimes up to four times over and over and over. And then I go through and I have a template that, uh, that we use, kind of a blueprint that Roley Delgado came up with on just questions that we answer and just different things that we look for when it comes to the fights so the guys can prepare better. And then, you know, depending on what service you, you all, we, that you want to get, sometimes we come up with the game plan for you. Sometimes you don't want that. Or sometimes, um, and sometimes I even make videos to help you Wow. Uh, with different drills and exercises that you can use in order to prepare. Wow, that's very interesting. Now, who are your clients right now? Can you tell us? Uh, I don't know if you want to keep any of them a secret, but who are the ones that you can actually share? Well, recently I've been working. I did. I did worked a lot with Robbie. I did Robbie's last couple of fights. Oh, um, obviously Tyron. I did uh, Mursad uh, Bektik. I've been working with Cole Miller. Uh, Jordan Meehan. Uh, yeah, Jordan, me, and I did the guys from uh, MMA Spirit in Germany. And a couple of the other guys, you know, some guys w would prefer me not to say anything just okay. so that um, so their opponents don't get all nervous. And <laughs> <laughs> But these guys that I just named off aren't really too concerned with that. Are you expensive? Actually, and I, and right now I'm actually doing uh, Gleason Chibau. I'm, I'm going to do a Peter Holman for Gleason Chibau. And also what we do too is – and I'm pretty sure you're aware of the the report that uh, what's his name Lawrence Kenshaw, mm -hmm. I think that's his name on Tyron Woodley. We actually do those too, where we look at say your fighter X, and you want to report down on you to see what your opponents are looking at. Oh, interesting. We actually do well, yeah. So, you know, in Tyron's case, I mean, it actually, you know, my hats off to those guys. I mean, they had him, they had him figured out. I mean, obviously, that wasn't the game plan. But like I said, some bad habits are hard to break. So that was kind of a wake-up call for him to say, you know what, I can't fight like this no more. Are you expensive? Are we expensive? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, if you're an amateur fighter, it's probably going to be expensive for you. But for like a UFC guy who's making, you know, five digits, it's not expensive at all. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about uh, Tyron. I mean... As I mentioned, he's coming off a loss. It's a very important fight for him because he was so close to really being in that select top contender category. And, you know, Dana White, you know, he, he doesn't mince words. He said that he thought he choked in that fight against Roy McDonald. And it didn't seem like your typical Tyron Woodley fight, at least the fights that we've seen out of him for the last few going into that fight against uh, Roy. So what went wrong from, from a, a scouting perspective, from a coach perspective? What went wrong there in Vancouver? Well, well, first off, like I said before, I think that Rory and them, they did a good job of scouting him on basically on how he fights um, for the most part. They did a really good job, you know, scouting him and really shutting him down. Uh, that obviously wasn't the game plan. I think what it came down to was when it came time to perform what we wanted to perform, 
he just wasn't there. I mean, I think Tyron, more than anything else, is he's a performer and an artist. And sometimes when you're an artist, you need that motivation to perform to the best of your ability. And he wasn't able to it around. You know, Tyron isn't the type of guy like, you know, a Matt Brown, Robbie Lawler, who just, you know, those guys would be fighting in the street if they didn't have this opportunity to fight in a cage. Tyron's not that type. He's an athlete and a performer, and he just wasn't able able to perform. He just wasn't his night. Did you think that there was a chance? Like, did this totally blow you away, the performance that he had? Or did, did you think that this maybe was a bad matchup for Roy? Were you afraid that this, excuse me for Tyron, against Roy, were you afraid that this might happen? No, I wasn't afraid it would happen. I, I thought it was a great matchup for Tyron. I still think that Tyron is a better fight. I think that on, a, on any given night when Tyron performs to the best of his ability, I think he's the best welterweight in the world. It's just a matter of him showing up and doing it and proving it to himself. And sometimes he can overthink things. And, uh, and like any other fighter, you know, sometimes we think a little too much or the pre- sometimes we let the pressure get to us. You know, Dana White, he's a he's a tough boss to for. I mean, he puts a lot of pressure on you. And, and, you know, if you're not that type of guy like the Matt Brown, you, you know, Clay Guida type guy who just doesn't care about how you look, then, you know, it can sometimes have an effect on your performance. How long have you guys been in Asia for? We got hit in Asia on uh, last Wednesday. Is that enough time to get acclimated to the time difference, in your opinion? Uh... Like I said, my time has been screwed up, so I really don't know how long it takes to get acclimated to any one area right now. I would, but, you know, but when I used to fight, you know, the first couple times I fought in Japan, I never was really acclimated. But, you know, when it's time for that walkout, you don't even think about the time. It's not like something you go, oh, you start yawning, go, you know what, I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I think that by the time the fight comes, the adrenaline and Bert yells out, (laughs) we rolling, you know, none of the time doesn't matter. That's all irrelevant. But as a coach, you're not concerned at all. I mean, he's going to be fighting at around 10 a.m. You know, here on the East Coast, 9 a.m. where he's from in the Central Time Zone. So, is you know, there any concern that, about that? No, that's not a that's not really going to be a concern of mine. I think that, in fact, you know, Tyron's used to getting them workouts in in the morning like that. So, I don't think that's going to be an issue. So, what's the what's the breakdown on Dung Young Kim? You're 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 the guy. I'm sure you did a report. Give us the goods. Yeah, I've been. Yeah, you know the thing. The funny thing about it was I start. Actually, I work with. Uh, you know, every chance I get, I try to work with Hector when he allows me to. But um, <laughs> I started studying Dung Young Kim for Hector. Oh wow! And I was actually studying him during the time that Tyron was fighting uh, Rory. So I've been studying Dung Young Kim for a long time, and he has evolved as a fighter, as most fighters do. But uh, the thing about him is he's gotten a lot more reckless and a little bit more unpredictable. But you know, there's a lot of holes and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Tyron to take advantage of. And again, I think this is a good matchup for Tyron. And I don't think Dung Young Kim should make it out the second round. Wow. How do you see it ending? I think Tyron's going to knock him out. Now, what kind of holes? Uh, obviously, it seems like his striking is, uh, is suspect in your opinion. What kind of holes do you see? Well, he's got, a, he, you know, he just gets a little wild and reckless. Uh-huh. And I think he's at the point now in his career where he um, is definitely trying to fight more for the fans and the audience. And he wants to really try to promote himself as a as a, a entertainer and a, a scrappy fighter. And he's done a good job of it. I mean, the way he fought uh, John Hathaway and Eric Silva, I mean, he, he went right at those guys. But he was very reckless and he left a lot. He left a, op- a lot of openings for himself. And then I think Tyron's going to be able to capitalize on. We've worked on a lot of different ways to get inside, how to do things. And uh, 
you know, it should be, you know, but Dungan Kim is dangerous, though. I mean, I, don't, don't get me wrong. I can't take nothing away from him. He is a fighter. I mean, it's evident in his record. He's 19 and 2. Uh, he's beaten a lot of good guys. But, like I said, he, he knows how to win, but he leaves a lot of openings. Fight Pass must be great for you. Now you have everything there. Do you subscribe to that? Oh, of course. Yeah, that was the first thing I did when, uh, you know, once I, once I, once I realized how much footage yeah. is on Fight Pass, I just, and I'm, I'm pretty much on Fight Pass all day long. It's funny because if you would have done this like three years ago, I feel like it would have been a lot harder because the UFC made their clips very hard to find. If someone would upload it, they would delete it. They, they would make it very difficult. So this, this, I don't know if this job could could actually happen unless you get your fighter to request the footage from the UFC, but now it's just all at your fingertips. You know what I mean? It, it, it must have been, it must have been almost impossible for a fight. Like when you were fighting and of course the internet wasn't where it was today, but it's hard. It was hard back then to find footage on your opponent, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was very difficult. Uh, the UFC makes it kind of easy. They used to make it and they would give you the footage. And up until recently, they just started making everybody do fight pass, but they would give you the footage. Uh, but even with the footage that they give you, they give you like a certain amount of times that you were able to actually uh, upload the footage. So it was difficult to get it. They would give you a lot of stuff, but it was difficult to get it, uh, especially like for younger fighters, too, that haven't fought in the UFC. You know, when some of these guys could reach out to me and say, hey, can you uh, can you help me out with, you know, so and so, you know, I'm not at that, that high of a level and I help them out. And finding footage on guys is tough sometimes, so it does make the job kind of hard. Are you officially done with MMA? You're no, you'll never fight again. I want to say that. Oh, in fact, what? Yeah, yeah I want to. Yeah, it's, I want to say that. The problem is, is that every time I go somewhere and I start training, like I was training with, uh, we were out here with uh, Ben Askren, and I'm training with him, and I'm like, man, I, you know, I want to train, I want to fight again, but then I just. By the nighttime, or at least the next morning when I wake up and I can't get out of bed, I go, what What was I thinking? I don't even know what I was thinking. Why was I thinking about ever fighting again? But the itch is still there. Sometimes. Sometimes I, I still get the itch because I look at these guys and, uh, you know, they have an opportunity that I don't think that, that I had when I was coming up. Uh, don't get me wrong, I had my opportunities, but I think that they're in a u unique position now to make a lot more money and get a lot more exposure than I even had when I was coming up. And I look at them and I go, you know what, I wish I could have fought those guys yeah. in my prime opposed to now. Maybe you could get that Mayorga fight. I know. I know I could get that fight because he can't fight a lick. Man, you ever think about that? I mean, that was so close to happening. Yeah, every once in a while I think about, you know, the opportunity that I have for that. Uh, you know, it was so close to happening and I would, you know, what really made me mad about that was it, you know, that would have been like the first time an MMA fighter fought a big time boxer. Uh -huh. Uh, it didn't happen. And then like two months later, Randy Couture chokes out, uh, James Tony and, and Randy Couture gets all the credit for <laughs> established, you know, MMA's dominance over boxing. That should have been me. I'm still mad you. at Randy. That should have yeah, been, been me. What about the dance after the Jeremy Stevens fight? Do do people still talk to you about that? And can you can you do the dance for us very quickly? <laughs> I can do the dance. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, Ariel. You know, I, I've had a, I've had a tremendous career. You know, I've you know I fought you know since the late nineties. I fought the best of the best. You know, BJ, Matt, Sarah, all these guys. And the one thing I'm most known for is that stupid dance. <laughs> It's crazy. I don't know. I, I I can't I can't shake it. But I'm gonna do the dance for you. Oh yeah. I'm gonna do it for you. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna do it for you. 
I call it the chills. It was inspired by uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Jungle Fever when he when his mama when he was trying to tell his mama where where he did with the TV when he said he smoked the TV. He said, <laughs> "I smoked the TV, mama." He goes, "Oh yes, there it is." <laughs> That's there it is. Are you in the lobby of the hotel right now? Yeah, I'm in the hotel lobby. <laughs> I'm guessing there there aren't a lot of people there at two twenty three a.m. Right? Or are there a lot of people looking well, at you like you're weird? <laughs> It wouldn't have mattered if it was, actually, because I don't care. You break it out on the dance floor, too, at the club? Oh, I got a whole I got a whole list of things I do at the club. Oh, now. really? A repertoire. Fact, when, I, when, I was in, when I was in Germany, me and uh, 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 Stefan Poots, who just recently won his uh, MMA fight, or M1 Global fight in, uh, in Russia, St. Petersburg, Russia, we were taking dance classes for like two months. For what? Just the well, he was using it to, uh, you know, because he he wanted to help build the coordination in his body, you know, make him a little lighter on his feet. And I just decided to go with him, you know, I figured it'd be a place, you know, go hang out, meet people in Germany. And uh, we was taking the uh, uh, dance hall classes, reggaeton and hip hop for like two months. Wow. So when I go to the club now, y'all better watch out because I'm tearing it up. <laughs> he was doing it for the coordination, you were doing it for the ladies. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and I, I didn't want to say it like that, but essentially that's what it comes down to. And has it been helping? Not really. Okay. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, Ariel, I'm a Mac anyway. You're a Mac. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a player. I'm a true player from the Himalaya anyway. <laughs> I heard that you're actually, I heard you're not a player, you just crush a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a player, I just crush a lot. That's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> All right, so, so so you gave us. It's hard to transition from that, to be honest. But uh, I'll I'll give it the old college try. So after Tyron Woodley, who's on your uh, who's on your plate? Who's your next fight? Oh wow! Uh, like I said, I'm I'm doing uh, Peter Holman for Gleason Chibau. Then uh, mm, then I just have to wait for the phone call. See, you know, ATT. What's that? Wait for the phone call. Yeah, wait for the well, you know, like I said, ATT guys, they always reach out to me. So, you know, whichever big fight they have coming up, you know, I, they always come to me and say, hey, we need you to watch this guy or so on and so forth. Uh, I was re- actually the, the fight I, I, w- I did for, uh, I did Bobby Green for. Uh, Josh Thompson? No, no, no. Yeah, no, I did Bobby Green for, um, oh, I can't think of his name now. Which fight? Uh, his, the, not the he had, they were supposed to fight, but they just they just canceled it. Oh, um, uh, well, he was supposed to fight. Uh, let's see, Abel Trujillo. No, 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 no. The 18, my my friend, I can't think of his name now. I hate when I have a blank like this. Uh, George Masvidal, yeah, Masvidal. Oh, okay. I did Bobby Green for Masvidal. Yeah. And uh, they can't. Then they just switched the opponent. But right. I thought I thought that was going to be a great fight. I thought it was going to be even a better fight than. Now Bobby Green is fighting uh, Cerrone, Donald Cerrone. Right. Yeah, but uh, so if Cerrone, if you're out there listening, you want to buy the report? I already got it done for you. Oh, there you go. That's cool. How much yeah. it cost? It, it, I'll I'll give it to him for five hundred. All right. Wow, that's pretty cheap. If you want it, I give it to him for five hundred. That's pretty cheap. But um, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. How it's many pages is the report? About eight pages. Okay. Um, let me ask you two last things. Jordan Mean is fighting this weekend. You said that you uh, you've worked with him. Did you? Did you scout Mike Pyle? No, I didn't. Um, I think what happened was uh, Jordan Mean, when he was supposed to fight Tiago Alves, it, well, one, first off, Jordan Mean's a hard guy to get a hold of. Okay. You know, he, he has limited access. Like, he has, like, no phone, like, his email. He never – so 
um, after I, w- I worked with him on Hernani Perpetuo, I kind of lost contact with him. Um, and then he was supposed to fight Tiago Alves, and I reached out to him to let him know that, hey, listen, you know, I do not, you know, I, you know, I didn't want him to feel like, you know, I was going to, you know, try to dime him out, so I reached out to him. But I never heard back from him. So, you know, if he's listening to this now, Jordan, you know what I'm saying, you're my boy, I would never dime you out. And if you need help with any other opponents, reach out to me. You should go through his dad. That's who I go through to try to get a hold of him. Oh, do you? Yeah, you know Lee. No, I don't. I don't. I met him a few times, but I don't know. Oh, him. that's the guy to go. I'll give you his number. Yeah, yeah. Give me his number because I just want to let him know. You know that I, I don't ever. I won't ever dime him out because you know I consider him a friend and you know he's cool. All right. Well, uh, this was great. I wish you the best of luck in the fight, of course, this Saturday. Tyron Woodley versus Dunyan Kim. And with your, your growing business, I think it's a great idea. And, and, and I hope that uh, maybe we helped you out as far as uh, getting some new business. If Donald Cerrone does, in fact, contact you, I want 10%, all right? Yeah, man, I got your back, man. Listen, right. so Donald, because he's taking your 10%, the charge now is 550 Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Ariel, man, I appreciate it, man. I hope to see you around, man. I appreciate you having me on the show and give me some love, man, and keeping me alive in this game. For sure. And uh, all the best to you guys, and thank you so much. I know your your clock is all messed up, but, you know, 2 a.m. is 2 a.m., so I appreciate it very much. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Thanks, man. I'll see you soon. All right, there he is, Dean Thomas in Hong Kong, getting ready for Tyron Woodley versus Dong Young Kim, main event, Kung Lee versus Michael Bisping. You want the main card? I'll give you the main card. Really important fight for all four of those guys at the top. I think the guy who has the most pressure on him is Michael Bisping, coming off that loss to Tim Kennedy in April. I mean, if he loses to Kung Lee, who hasn't fought in almost two years. Remember, the last time Kung Lee fought was when he knocked out Rich Franklin in November of 2012. It's been a while. And Bisping is coming off that loss. Questions about his health. Questions about, obviously, his eye Questions about you know whether or not he is still relevant at 185. He'll always be relevant, but to me, the story of Michael Bisping is is I hate to use the word tragic because you don't. Want, I mean, there are a lot of tragedies happening in this world, and you know this is just sports at the end of the day. But for a guy to be that popular, I think he might be the most. I, I don't even think I know he is the most popular fighter in UFC history to never get a title shot. Never. You know, there are guys who were popular who got title fights and lost, who never held a UFC belt. But in my opinion, Michael Bisping is the most popular fighter in UFC history to never even get a title shot. And you can certainly say that he deserved it at at, at certain points. Remember, he fought some guys who, you know, now we know were on TRT. Actually, three of his highest profile losses came to TRT guys. Dan Henderson, Chael Sonnen. Vitor Belfort, all those fights could have maybe produced a title shot. And he fought in a division and in an era that really, I mean, let's be honest, in that era, guys like Talos Ladies got title shots. Patrick Cote got title shots. You know, Damian Maya at one point got a title shot. But Michael Bisping just couldn't, for whatever reason, every time he got to that big fight, couldn't get over the hump and you know, now you look at where he's at in his career, you have to wonder if he is ever going to get that tell shot. So in my opinion, of all the guys fighting on Saturday, whether it's in Macau or Tulsa, Oklahoma, that's, that's, that's the biggest fight right there. 
There's the most at stake right there for Michael Bisping. In a minute, we're going to be joined by Danny Castillo. He fights at UFC 177. That is rapidly approaching. It's in less than two weeks. It's in Sacramento. The headlining act is TJ Dillashaw versus Hannah Brown. You know, I have to make a confession because I said that the UFC made a mistake in booking TJ Dillashaw versus Hannah Brown. I still believe that they rushed that rematch. I still believe that in a perfect world... They should have tried to have Burrell fight a couple fights outside of the title, build him up, and then Dillashaw does his thing. If you're Maine's champion, build him up, and then they meet, and I think the rematch would have meant a lot more. That's how it's traditionally done. So I still believe that that was a mistake. But again, look, I was saying that it was a mistake to put those fights on the undercard this past weekend, and they proved to be not as exciting as the main card fights. Why do I bring this up? Well, UFC 177 is rapidly approaching. It just lost its co-main event. Demetrius Johnson, Chris Carriasso, it's going uh, to... It, it has been moved to UFC 178, um, and fans aren't feeling the buzz. Uh, fans aren't uh, you know feeling the excitement. And now you could say, well, hey... The Burrell-Dillashaw fight is a lot bigger than Dillashaw versus Hafel Sunsau, so maybe it was better to keep that fight as the immediate rematch as opposed to doing uh, Dillashaw versus Sunsau because um, I don't think that would have generated... At least there's a story to be told. There's a bigger story to be told in that fight than Carriasso Johnson, than even a bunch of other main events. So now, given the way things have unfolded, I actually think it made sense. Short-term... Maybe not long-term, but short-term, with the pay-per-view coming up, I think it actually makes more sense to do that fight. In any event, the co-main event, the new co-main event, is Tony Ferguson versus a man who's very excited to be fighting in his hometown, very excited that he has been pushed up the card. Our guest at this time, Mr. Last Call himself, Danny Castillo. And there he is, right there, via the magic of Skype. Big smile on his face. Danny, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. So... Uh, you know, this is an interesting one, and and you know, I I you know, you know me, I I, I tell it like it is. Uh, this this you know, this news came out, and the UFC called it a co-main event, and I said, well, is this really a co-main event? And I know that you've been you've been approached about this because you responded to the haters with a Z on Twitter. What's your response to people who say, well, this isn't really a co-main event. This is just the second to last fight on the card. Um. I don't know, man. I, I don't really care. Uh, you know, it's uh, this is going to be my 19th fight with Zufa. I've heard, I've heard it all. You, you name it. I mean, I heard about how I suck, how I'm boring, how I'm a terrible fighter, all this and that. Like, it doesn't really matter because they made me the co-main event. So, I mean, people just got to get used to it. And um, they just got to wait for the fight. If, uh, you know, if it's a boring fight, then that that's, uh, gives them the ammunition to, to cry about and complain about it. But till then, they have no idea. Some of the fights that uh, have been matched up um, that were potential, like, barn burner have been boring, you know. So I think uh, because of what this fight, um, the implications that this fight brings for Tony and I, um, it's going to make for a good fight. What was your reaction when you got and, Yes. And, um, you know, uh, my last fight at home was, was, was fight of the night. So, um, you know, I get to fight 
there's just extra incentives, you know, for me. And, um, and it's just like when I'm at home, I, I feel like I can fight better than, than anywhere else. So, um, you know, we're just going to have to see. We're 12 days away, and um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, honestly, you know, um, you know, getting better each fight. And you could say that uh, – you can't really say that for a lot of people, but throughout my 18 fights in Zufa, each fight I've gotten better and better, and there's no one that can de- debate that. Um, you know, if, if you can debate that, then, um, you know, I think you're crazy because I've constantly improved. Every time I come out there, I'm a better – um, one way or another, and it's going to show exactly the same thing um, August 30th. Couldn't agree with you more, not just saying that because you're, you're, you're here. Uh, anyone who watched you in WEC, and I remember watching a lot of your fights in WEC, you're a completely different fighter now, so you've certainly come a long way. Um, what was your reaction when you got the call that you were going to be in the co-main event slot, if you will, in your hometown of all places? Well, the funny thing about... Uh, about the sport is um you never get a call <laughs> uh, i've never got a call i've uh i've been on two cards that have been canceled i've never got a call wow. i've uh i've checked i've checked my twitter and um was updated via twitter um, but i never got a call about any of it you know in fact i got a text uh from john morgan who was like congratulations man i'm super happy for you you know this is uh this is everything you've worked for and uh you know i can't wait to see you fight and uh, and then I of course I jumped I saw a bunch of alerts on my phone I jumped onto Twitter and sure enough um, you know it was all over all over the net that I was a co-main event so it was uh, it was an awesome feeling I had a a great uh, day of practice it was our sparring day actually so um, you know I had that week has been was phenomenal in training it was actually the best week I've had in, in the last twelve weeks I've been training for for one seventy six and one seventy seven so uh, it was it was just um, It was, I get to fight in my hometown, and um, from the they, they canceled the car, they bumped me to Sacramento, and I was so fired up about. It. Then uh, Jones got hurt, and then they bumped me to Colmena Bay. It's just like, <laughs> what a crazy ride! He way to end the story, but with a knockout, with a knockout finish. So I'm looking to put a story bucket to this uh, this crazy story. You know, it's just it's just been great news after great news, and uh, I can't wait to get in there. Yeah, that that's crazy. So no one called you to tell you that 176 was canceled. You just found out when the news came out. Yeah, the same with uh, John Jones and, and Hendo back then. I'm not sure what number that was. 151. But, uh, yeah, 51. Yeah, no one just found out via Twitter. So you know that's just the way it works. You know, once the the and it's all over the net. The uh, the 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 Skype connection isn't great. Do you mind if we call you on your phone? Yeah, for okay. sure. We're going to call you on your cell phone because the Skype connection is a little wonky and want to hear what uh, Danny Castillo has to say. That is actually fascinating. I'm going to look this up um, while, we, while we get him on the phone here because I think Danny Castillo might be a trivia answer. Danny Castillo might be the only guy to fight or at least be scheduled to fight on both cards that were canceled and the only two cards that were officially canceled in UFC history. I'm looking at who was on 151. Now let's go to UFC 176. This is fascinating. Two years apart, Danny Castillo back then was supposed to fight Michael Johnson. And UFC 176, he was supposed to fight Tony Ferguson. 
Most of these guys weren't even in the UFC back then. Yeah. Wait. You're Abel Trujillo. Oh, Abel Trujillo. He was on both. Abel Trujillo was supposed to fight Tim Means at UFC 151, and at UFC 176, he was supposed to fight Bobby Green. Tony Ferguson, too? Well, this is just riveting. Anyhow, he doesn't... He doesn't get that award. Not the only guy, but one of just a couple. By the way, our friends at Fight Metric letting me know that Michael Bisping is tied with Gleison Tebow for the most UFC wins without earning a title shot. 14. How about that? See what I'm saying? Danny, you there? Yeah, I'm here. So in case you're wondering, I was just looking up because you brought up a great point. UFC 151, 176, the only cards that were officially canceled after being announced by the UFC. Only two men were on both cards. You know who the other one was? Yeah. Uh, well, I was kind of worried. I was like, man, this doesn't look good. Uh, <laughs> Joe Silva and, and Dana White aren't going to book me for another fight if these fights keep getting canceled. And then uh, someone said that uh, Abe Trujillo. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I thought that you were going to be the Grim Reaper, but uh, it's it's you and Abel Trujillo. Still uh, a pretty weird distinction to have. Um, so it all works out for you because you get moved to your hometown and you're fighting Tony Ferguson. And, and here you are in the co-main event. And it's, it's very interesting because the last time you were on my show, we were talking about, you know, fight pass and all that stuff. And if you were punished, are you feeling the love now? Do you feel like after knocking out Charlie Brenneman in, 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 in very impressive fashion that maybe you're back in the good graces of the UFC? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, the, the sport could be extremely frustrating. Um, at sometimes, you know, for several different reasons. And, and I mean, one of the reasons is, is communication, I, I believe is, is, a, is a huge reason why it's, it's frustrating for me because I get everything secondhand, um, either from my, from my manager, Lex, or, you know, through Twitter. You know, so it's like I, I've never really I've, – actually, I've never really talked to Dana White or had a sit-down conversation with him or, or anything like that. Um, and Joe Silva, like I do see him at after parties and stuff like that, but it's more, it's never business, you know, it's all, you know, how are you doing? It's usually when, when one of my teammates fights or something like that is, is when I talk to him. So, um, you know, that's, you know, them putting, bumping me to co-main event, uh, means that, uh, they appreciate the last fight that I had here in SAC and, and they know that, um, you know, I'm a big draw in my hometown and uh, they appreciate the hard work. And that's just the way I look at it. It, it could be totally wrong, but, yeah. um, you know, I try to take the positives out of, out of everything, and that's what I'm taking from this. So, okay, so right now you're, you're, you're getting ready for this fight. It's happening in Sacramento, and it's very interesting at Team Alpha Male because it was, you know, much was made of the fact that Bang Ludwig was going to leave the team after the Dillashaw fight on May 24th, but from following you on Twitter and Instagram and other fighters as well, it seems like you still work with Bang Ludwig, right? Will he be in your corner for this fight? Oh, yeah, of course. So, um, so what I'll happened there? For, well, uh, he came back and he was, uh, was going to uh, train Chad and myself for, for 176. Um, you know, the, keg, the card got canceled. 
And then right before that, I believe before the card got canceled, they announced uh, TJ's rematch. So, um, you know, he stayed for that, and he's just been here. Um, he's not here full-time, but uh, he's here Monday through Thursday. In fact, in fact he flies in today. Um, he'll run practice at 2.30, um, and then I'll work with him Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, one-on-one. Um, and then he runs a couple practices. He runs a sparring on Wednesday, and he runs some striking classes throughout the week. So, uh, you know, I'm getting like eight to ten hours with him weekly. He leaves on Friday and goes to see his family. He's still trying to uh, work out the, his, his own academy in Colorado. Um, but uh, right now, it, it's, it doesn't seem like it's been a huge, a huge change. You know, it's, uh, he's still here. He's a huge part of the team. And despite what the media says or, or you know, what other people say, is, uh, you know, there's no beef between anyone on the team and Bang. There's no beef between Uriah or anything. Like, you could, if you walked into the gym, you'd have no idea. Hmm. that uh, there was ever a problem at all. Did you work with uh, Martin Katman while he was there, and will you work with him if and or when he comes back? Um, well, I didn't really get a chance because after, uh, after, uh, after my fight, he came in, and um, I, I, I took some time off, but Bang was still here. Okay. So um, I wasn't really trying to uh, take away from Martin. I don't. Not that I think that he's less of a coach than Bang, but uh, but Coach Bang and I have a, a, a chemistry, and um, you know we mesh well together. So while he was here, I was just like, you know, I'll work with Matt. I mean, if Martin's going to be the coach, I'll have him for a while. But you know, the, while the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to work with Bang every day while he's here till he leaves, because hmm. he was still, um, you know, his his kids were still in school. And, uh, and, um, and so he was still here till, till the lease on his place was up and, and everything. So I worked with him, you know, so I didn't really work with, with Martin too much, although I did a couple practices with him and I, and I will say that, uh, you know, for being a striker, his wrestling is, is, is really clean. He's a great wrestler. So speaking of uh, solid strikers, Tony Ferguson has looked very good as of late since coming back from that injury. Uh, what have you made of him? Are, are you impressed with what he's been doing, and what's the key to beating him, in your opinion? Uh, I'm impressed with anyone in the UFC. Okay. Um, the guy, he, the guy he knocked out, not so much. Um, <laughs> you, you know, uh, I'm not taking anything away from from Tony Ferguson. I mean, he displayed power in his hand. Um, he's a great striker, but um, yeah, I, that guy had his hands down the whole time, and he was flat-footed. He that guy didn't really impress me. Um, Katsunori and, uh, Kukuno, you're talking about, right? I, I guess that's his name. I don't know the guy with this, the, the, the guy with his hands down that Tony Ferguson knocked well, out in the first round. His last fight, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's what I'm talking about. Um, you know, he he's he's talented. Uh, he he poses a a, a a bunch of different problems. His length, um, you know, again, he has power in his hands. He's uh, purple belt under. Um, uh, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, um, you know, he has a win over some uh, solid vet, and uh, he's, he's Edwards, and, and he's tough, you know, um, you know, but everyone is tough. I mean, if you go down uh, the, 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 the list of fighters, I mean, I, I can compare him to a bunch of fighters. Uh, I could say that, uh, you know, height, uh, stature-wise, it's the same as Tim Meade. Hmm. Um, striking, um, I feel like uh, Anthony Anjaquani is a better striker than him. 
Um, I feel like Edson Barbosa is a better striker than him. Jiu-jitsu wise, man, it's, I, I, I've fought uh, I fought a ton of guys, man, and it's all been in the big show. Six years I've been at, with the company Zufa. Um, you know, eight fights in the WEC, ten with the UFC. In the WEC, I was I fought Dustin Poirier, I fought uh, Cowboy Cerrone, I fought Anthony Pettis, I fought uh, Ricardo Lamas. Um, you know, it. it I, I fought. I fought a bunch of people that that uh, that um, that are talented fighters. You know, I, I don't think that he's going to bring anything I haven't seen. All right, looking forward to it, uh, Danny. Congratulations on getting uh, th- that that great showcase spot on the upcoming pay per view in your hometown, UFC 177. It takes place in less than two weeks. Not this Saturday. Next Saturday at the Sleep Train Arena, formerly known as the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. Danny Castillo versus Tony Ferguson. Of course, the main event is Danny's teammate, TJ Dillashaw, defending his bantamweight title for the first time against Hennon Burrell. Looking forward to it. We will be there. Thank you very much for the time. Good luck in the final days of training, and we'll see you in Sacramento. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, there he is. Last call, Danny Castillo stopping by, talking about his fight on August 30th in Sacramento, of course. All right, let's move along now and uh, go back to the Skype machine for one of our favorites on the show, my client, the one and only now sporting a beard, coming off his big win uh, this past, not this past, two Saturdays ago at Metamorris. He is the Metamorris heavyweight champion. You want to say something, Josh? There he is. Yes. Where's the belt, by the I way? I didn't say anything. All my actions do all the talking for me, okay. my friend. <laughs> you he... know, it's, it's yes. difficult to go out there when you don't have your right-hand man. You don't have Errol Helwani with the cane <laughs> at, or, or the bag of gold as needed. I mean, it's difficult to face some of the greatest athletes in the world on the Metamorris map or any map for that matter. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Sometimes the difference could be just a little distraction of the referee or, uh, <laughs> I don't know, slipping me a roll of nickels. <laughs> That's true. You can. But I did it. Some, yes. Yeah, I I I soldiered on, and I was still able to to uh, to get the victory, become the Metamorris heavyweight champion of the world, and uh, be the first person to submit Dean Lister in 16 years. Did they give you a belt? They did not. Although I hear there is uh, an idea for some sort of monumental. Well, look. Put it this way. I asked Halleck if their their heavyweight title award is substantial enough that I could defend myself from a home invasion. And he, wow. he said, yes, yes, I could, I could, uh, I could cavitate someone's skull with it. So it gets my form of approval. I mean, I would have been happy if he just gave me a giant knife like this, <laughs> but I already have one, well, more than one. So, you know, wow. You can get. Uh, it seems a little cheap to not give you a belt, right? I mean, come on. When you become the heavyweight champion and not get a belt, you know these these are the things that the manager. Yes, I could have brought up. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Where was I a couple of weekends ago? You could have at least stole it from one of my one of my rivals. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of which, you were at SummerSlam last night, right? I was. What was it like? Slam horrific, <laughs> wrestletastic. It was pretty cool. Um, we, uh, myself, uh, Colleen and Colleen Schneider, we, we jammed out and watched the festivities. It was, uh, there were some good matches there that night. I thought uh, uh, Seth Rollins and, uh, uh, man, I, I'm out of it for so long. That, that match was fantastic. That one was actually 
probably one of the highlight, probably the highlight as far as just straight wrestling went. And then uh, Dean, Amb- Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. That was the one that I, I enjoyed the most as far as wrestling content. But uh, watching Brock suplex John Cena 87,000 times, uh, well, you know, I'm not a John Cena fan, so oh. I didn't mind much. And you're a Brock fan? Because I saw you uh, say that you'd wipe the floor with him not that long ago. I would wipe the floor with him. It yeah. was the, the statement was Paul Heyman said that at 100%, without any diverticulitis or anything right. bothering him, that there was nobody out there that could touch him in the MMA arena. And I just simply said, I wouldn't have touched him, I would have crushed him. <laughs> and that's an absolute truth. That is the fact. And it's a good thing he's in the WWE. Otherwise, you know, but at, then again, I, could, I suppose I could make my way over there if, uh, if that's what's necessary to go ahead and oh. finally get a piece of Brock Lesnar. But I tell you what, given the lesser, given the, the, the devil, the, the between the two evils of John Cena and Brock Lesnar, I'm going to go for Brock Lesnar. Why? Are you interested in going to WWE? Is that what you're saying? I'm interested in taking on anybody, anywhere, at any time. And, uh, you know, it would be at an IGF or New Japan in the, in the, in the past or WWE, UFC, wherever I got to go to get a hold of uh, whoever's supposedly the toughest guy on the block, then you know what? Have fistful travel. Did you ever have any serious talks with WWE in your entire career? I don't think you can ever really seriously talk to WWE. <laughs> I think everything's at least a little bit of a work. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, by the way, I couldn't help but notice that a good friend, or at least I think she is still a good friend of yours, Shayna Baszler, was in the front mm-hmm. row on TV with Ronda Rousey, rocking the four, all that stuff. And based on your tweets, it seemed like you were kind of high up. I mean, what's going on here? Uh, we were in the VIP section, okay. whatever that means. But uh, I, for me, it's not a big deal. You know, I've, I, I live that life. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the boys. So uh, for her and all her friends to be down there and get to mark out and be ringside. I mean, that's a, that's a cool experience for them. And she's actually, I'm covered in sweat right now because I just came from, uh, they're, they're still over there. Shayna's over there, uh, Colleen Schneider, Lori, all these, and Caitlin Young, a bunch of people I'm working with, they're training right now. So okay. you disrupted my training session oh. so that I could come on this show of yours and deliver my prophetic words of wisdom to the people of today. Well, I appreciate that. Did you go backstage? No. You didn't know. You don't do that. No. no. Not, I mean, not only when necessary, really. I, I've been there, done that. I know the, the guys I know, I know them. So. Let me ask you this. Uh, those women have been taking a lot of heat for calling themselves the four horsewomen, and they haven't been all that successful, of course, outside of Ronda Rousey, Marina Shafir losing recently, Jessamyn Duke on a bit of a streak, Shayna yet to compete in the UFC officially and get that official first win, although she is fighting in less than two weeks. As a pro wrestling historian, what do you make of them using that four horsewoman uh, name when, of course, the four horsemen were a classic and legendary team in the world of pro wrestling? Well, they didn't start off classic and legendary. They started off as just four schmoes (laughs) coming together trying to make a name for themselves. And uh, they didn't win all the time. And uh, as much as you have Arn Anderson's, you also have Ole's. So every now and again, uh, the, even the great must fall. But it's the determination of greatness is how they rise again. So um, I personally think it's pretty, pretty badass to call themselves the four horsewomen. And that sort of I don't know, ingenuity and 
just interest. Uh, that's that's something that's lacking in MMA as in general. I'm not saying you need to take your cues from uh, from pro wrestling's past, but uh, you know, do something out there to make yourself stand out. Uh, unless you're just totally fine with being a generic, homogenized, you know, disposable fighter that you could get pretty much anywhere that throws all the same techniques, looks the same, talks the same, and has the same comments to make every time they walk out there um and if you're okay with that then uh you know everybody's also okay with you just disappearing and being replaced by somebody else will you be in shana's corner yes yeah i'll be cornering i've been training shana uh for her upcoming bout against uh betch betch right yeah betch betch there's no c in it but it's a betch you know it's portuguese i don't know what's going on yeah no lo entiendo yeah but uh uh, she's been training real hard. Caitlin Young just moved out here. She's uh, joined our crew. Uh, Caitlin, uh, I mean, uh, Colleen Schneider has been helping Shana get ready. Shohei Yamamoto. We've got a whole crew of great uh, competitors and fighters all trying to make sure that uh, Shana goes out there and comes out with the W and, uh, you know, puts, a, puts an end to any talk of the four horsewomen uh, not being up to snuff. So let's get back to Metamorris. I loved Let's get you, back to it. I loved what you did. I loved what you wore. I just loved the whole thing because it felt like for the first time, this rather young promotion no longer became a Gracie infomercial. You know what I mean? It always felt like, okay, this is a Gracie thing, BJJ. This guy came in. He said he was doing catch wrestling. He was honoring the past. I mean, it was just everything that you did there. And then you, you topped it all off with the amazing submission against a guy, as you mentioned, who hadn't been submitted in 16 years. How much did you enjoy the whole thing? I mean, the whole process from doing the throwback outfit, getting it all together, to just being on that stage with a lot of luminaries watching, to getting the finish. I mean, that just seemed like a great day in the life of Josh Barnett. Man, it, it was some kind of experience, Ariel. I mean, to put it in a way, to put it in a way that, would, that you could really understand, Ariel, um, it, it's like getting a thumb in the right place at the right time for you. <laughs> it's just really like that. And uh, uh, I understand the, the comment about it seeming like a Gracie infomercial. Uh, I do understand that. But uh, honestly, there's, there's opportunities. And when those opportunities present themselves and you've got that critical moment to create a big shift um the only the only thing you can do is just go through that window so for me uh, i will i remember all the talk of metamorphs three and just thought how cool would that be how much would it put people on their heads if you know i walk out pro wrestling trunks shoes on a robe the whole deal and take it back to to the old school days of Frank Gotch, Carl Gotch, Billy Robinson, Inoki, Luthez, you know, those kind of guys. And uh, bring, it, bring it full circle back to grapplings, or professional grapplings, real roots. And uh, I didn't really know any, you know, I, I called um, uh, Judo Gene, he was busy. Oh. Uh, uh, made a call to Ric Flair, but I couldn't get anything past Wu. So <laughs> it was really just left to me. That would have been amazing, you coming out with Judo Gene. Um, can you tell us via Skype, I mean, in, in, in a, a very short way, how you pulled off the submission with just seconds remaining? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a great riding position, uh, that head and arm position from, from basic wrestling. But uh, there's a great uh, uh, diaphragm crush choke from that position. And, and by I knew it was something that I, I had in, in reserve, if need be, especially if I can tire him out and wear him out and break him down. 
And if, uh, if time was getting short, it was something I could go to. And uh, if I knew I, if I passed guard, got that position, I could feel him breathing hard, being fatigued. I slipped my arm under his head and sat through. And as soon as I locked it in, I just kept cinching it tighter and tighter until I got the tap. Did you know when you, when, when you locked it in, did you know right away that he was done? The first initial uh, escape attempt, you know, we started moving around a little bit, but when he rocked one direction, we came back the other. My arm got tighter, and I, I, I really, I felt that he's gonna, he's gonna give up. Were you aware how much time was left? Oh yeah. Okay. I looked up. At the, I, I, if I remember right, there was a, there was a monitor showing at some point. I looked up and saw the time. Wow. It was like either you do it now or you don't do, ever do it at all. Now, did they give you any grief about wearing the shoes? I mean, does that give you an advantage in any way? Other than uh, having an incredibly dashing uh, outfit <laughs> no. and being color-coordinated? I don't know. I mean, it, to be honest, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of slack, or, or uh, a lot, not slack, a lot of uh, slack. Um, uh, fire from what I'm assuming the jiu-jitsu community online oh. after the fact. Okay. Be, uh, in terms of saying things like, oh, well, he's, he's just, it was because he was big. And which, by the way, I don't know what our weights were on the night of the event. Uh, I don't think Dean was 220. He felt bigger than that. And at the very, in, in any case, he's still a heavyweight. I'm not sure what I weighed, but you know, 250-ish, who knows what. Uh, it's because I'm big. It was because, oh, the shoes were, now they gave me grip. Uh, whereas before, the, with the talk of me wearing shoes, everyone thought I was a madman because I was just giving Dean Lister basically a total license to tear my feet off and throw them into the second row. But when that didn't happen, now all of a sudden, uh, well, how can we figure out a way to, you know, and in the end, you know, I went out there to represent catch, not to be against jujitsu, but just to represent who I am and where I come from, what my foundations are, and uh, to show it to the world and to show uh, just some different philosophies and, and ideologies when it comes to wrestling, but you know it's not anti. However, uh, you know all, there's all this. Oh well, well let's bring in this person. Let's see how he does against that guy. Well he'll get smoked by it. It's just all right, whatever. I, I'm sure someone's going to step up, uh, but they're going to limp out. So Halleck Gracie kind of put you on the spot in a weird way. Mm -hmm. He shows up and he's like, "Oh, there's a guy out there. I won't say his name. Will you do this again?" Really putting you on the spot. I mean, are you going to do this again? Hey, possibilities are there. Uh, I did this one, and uh, uh, it just matters how things line up, man. My, my schedule has been just insane as of the last six months, and finding the time to, to do things, it's often it's just a matter of how, how things just work out, happenstance. So the possibility is there. I wouldn't mind going back and, and showing the power of, of professional wrestling again. But uh, as far as being put on the spot, I didn't feel it. I just felt like a... Yeah, a promotional moment. It's it. The emotions are running high, and and people are. You, you've got their attention, so give them something to talk about. As for Halleck's delivery, well, he's he's a little stiff on camera. That's all. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't really take any offense by it. Uh, was he talking about Buchecha? I have. I don't know. Maybe. I guess. I, I imagine that the whole audience was full of heavyweight Brazilians, and to some degree. Right. Um, so here's my issue with you. Now let's get down oh, to it. Your issue with my me. issue. This is your third hey. time on my show. It yes. Might even be the fourth time in 2014 since your fight against Travis Brown. All right. Mm. And you did mm. tell us at one point in February you suffered an injury. You were doing a movie, Steven Seagal, then Metamorphosis. Yeah. Clearly, yes. 
you're healthy now because you just competed mm-hmm. and looked fantastic. And in my opinion, that really raised your stock. You're, you were back in the mix. People are excited about you. You're coming off a great win over a legend, et cetera, et cetera. Please you, say more nice things. When are you going to fight again? Why isn't your name ever mentioned? There aren't that many heavyweights. Certainly the UFC can use you, in my opinion. You're a great name. You've done a lot, former champion. When are you going to fight? You know, every day is a fight, Ariel. <laughs> it's a fight to get out of bed. It's a fight to make my coffee. This is, very str- this to, is a mystery uh, to me. Every time we talk about, okay, who's next for this guy, this guy, everyone's like, what about Josh Barnett? Where is he? Is he done? What's going on? When's this guy going to fight again? Far from done, as we can see with Metamorphs. Uh, yeah. You know, I still got the still got the go, but uh, I mean, to be honest, like I said, I've been so incredibly busy with so many opportunities right now that um, it's hard to find the chance to even make something like that happen. Uh, you know, I have speaking of movies, I've got got more film. I've got a set of films to shoot even uh, towards the end of the year, and you know, they don't they don't happen real quick if you know what I mean. Right. So you think you're done? You're not going to fight for this year? This year's out of no, the No, no. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but it looks tough. And uh, being, being as busy as I am with every, all the projects I've been involved in, I've got, um, I'm doing a, a, another, we, we've already done one at uh, Pitchfork Fest. We're going to be doing another one uh, at, at FYF in, in LA here, August 23rd and 24th for Ray-Ban Sunglasses and the Order of Never Hide promotion they're doing. Uh, it's stuff like that. These movies coming up over in uh, uh, that I believe are going to be shot in Eastern Europe. Um, Metamoris, the podcast, Josh Bennett Conquers the World. I've got a pretty full plate, and uh, I mean, it, it takes care of me quite well. So, but as you see, the fire's still there. I'm training every day. I, I got done training. I train my, my students in the morning. Uh, I lift, uh, I still hit the gym. Uh, I got Tony Nelson, two-time NCAA uh, heavyweight champion and just a total mountain of a man. He's like 6'4", 286 and ripped. And he's going to come, he's coming here to uh, Southern California to run some camps for the, the kids at Brea High School and any of the other kids that want to come down. Uh, I'm going to teach on Thursday to show him some catch and to help with their wrestling as well. And he's going to be coming in to CSW uh, to learn a little bit of catch wrestling for me and help me sharpen up my wrestling game slash probably try and pull my head off my shoulders but you know hey that's cool would you be okay if you never fought again no i don't think i'd be okay with that uh i'd probably have to at least throw some throw a beer in somebody's face and call their mother a whore is that is that a possibility i mean are you just maybe too oh, busy? i've done it before you know <laughs> i mean i don't like to brag about that kind of thing but is it possible that you just have too many stuff you know too much stuff outside of the the sport these days to you know make it worth your while to, to you know it's it's brutal right I mean you got to go in there you it, fight you get punched in the is, face it is it's brutal and uh, uh, if if you're not as fired up for it as you need to be if you're not as focused as you need to be uh, it's not it's not the kind of sport you want to be involved in um, and that 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 can be a real issue so when it comes to fighting you choose one or the other when it's that time but um, I mean I don't have to go back to fighting. I can I can do everything else. I mean, there's no monetary necessity to fight with all my other projects. But uh, fighting is a love. It's a passion and it's a necessity. I don't get to fight forever. Uh, I can still be making movies uh, well after my fighting career is over. Uh, but you get the one opportunity to fight 
and then that's that's gone. So I want to make the most of that, and I do have in, in plans and intentions, and I still have the desire to get in, to get back in the ring. It just I can't I can't uh, I can't upend my whole life at the moment to do one while the other is going so well. I, I know I can make it work, but it doesn't seem to be right at the moment. Um, has UFC, you know, brought you or your management team any interesting fights that you're like, hmm, this is, or, or is it, maybe they haven't, and, and maybe that's why you haven't been enticed Just yet. a few local thumb wrestling matches, uh, a couple of pillow fights, and one very heated game of Twister with Joe Silva, uh, which you would think I'd have a great advantage by being so much longer, but, uh, but he's quite, quite flexible. Uh, I, I swear the kid must do yoga or something. What about this guy, Jared Rochelt, who tweeted to you this morning, we aren't getting any younger, and I'm looking for a high-profile fight. You're the best available. UFC 180, question mark, respectfully. What are your thoughts? Jared Rochelt, his manager telling me last week that they would like to fight you as well. Well, uh, it's interesting uh, because, again, not enough compliments. In that, <laughs> in that challenge. I think I need more compliments to, to boost my ego. Uh, at the very least, tell me how cool my shirt is after watching the, the MMA Hour. Brand new stuff. Josh Barnett, War Master shirt, designed by Dan Panosian. Wow. Uh, the Urban Barbarian, and for sale on Nawaza.com, I believe. How do you spell that? So, uh, N-E slash Waza. N-E-W-A-Z-A. Okay. N-E-W-A-Z-A. Nawaza Apparel. Uh, it could even be NawazaApparel.com. I'm a moron. That's just nice a, plug. A, that was a great plug, plug by the way. Wrong website. Uh, can't even pronounce it. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, yeah, well, here, here's the thing. When you, in, in Western MMA culture, let's say, um, I guess we're mainly talking about America, people don't call folks out that they don't think, unless you're Japanese, and the Japanese will call out someone that they don't even believe they should be in the ring with. They just want the honor of the opportunity to even get their you know, nose plowed across their face by them. Uh, when it comes to the UFC and Western MMA, you don't call people out that you don't think you can beat. So clearly, Jake's manager and, and likely, or Jared, Jared's manager and all the people around him, am I saying it's Jared Rochelle? Jared, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jared. Uh, they, they must have talked it into him that he somehow can, can defeat me in the ring. And... Uh, I mean, it's unusual for someone to actually call me out for once. Uh, but, I mean, well, the, I guess if, if there was the possibility to make that fight, I would show the whole world exactly why I'm not the one to call out. And uh, so you're open I think to it. I'm you're open to it. Moment. But oh. I do appreciate the fact that he respectfully asked for the fight. And if he really just wants to get in there and test himself, or even if he thinks he can beat me. I mean, nobody, nobody gets anywhere in fighting by sitting around not trying to fight people. So you're actually open to it? Look, man, I'm here to fight folks. I'm not here to talk about them. I'm not here to uh, make origami cranes with them. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. But I am here to kick ass and take names. Uh, I wouldn't have any problem putting Rochelle on my belt. Um, how many more years do you want to fight for? Till I'm done. I have no idea what that, what that litmus is, and when I hit it, I'll know it. Uh, but before that, you, you really can't think in, in uh, finality in that way. It'll just, it'll just remove your ability to push your yourself to the the furthest limits that you can reach, and 
You know, it's something, it's something to be said even for that person that is so ignorant of their own ability or where they should be or how, how uh, you know, their skill versus how far they've made it. But, you know, dogged determination is, is damn important in fighting. Um, and in this case, it's a dogged determination to go out there and fight for as much as I can and, and do as much as I can with it without thinking about you know, the end of the line. Give us your gut feeling. When do you think you'll fight again? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a little bit after lunch. I mean, this morning was a pretty rough. We miss you. We miss you. Yeah, uh, I I don't know, man. It's it's hard to say. Uh, To be perfectly honest, um, doesn't seem like all too quickly. Hmm. That's a bummer. It is. I understand. I feel your sadness. Yeah. It's something that, that it just seems to seep out through the screen and, and right into my lap. But don't worry, I'll take great care of your melancholy. <laughs> I will coddle it and keep it warm, feed it, and uh, help it to grow until the point that it turns into crippling depression. And then I will go to therapy with you. All right. Well, I was hoping for some good news, but it sounds like the... Uh the hey, Josh Barnett drought. News. Fantastic news. Your, your client, Mr. <laughs> Helwani. Listen, if you are truly my client, I'd like to see you fight again. You are, huh? If you are truly my client, I'd like to see you fight again, and that means you are obeying my advice. <laughs> yeah, I'm just rushing machine. I go, I destroy. I don't know the English talk of go uh, client. I just smash. USSR. Congratulations on the win. Good luck in Sacramento. I will see you there and uh, let us yes. know if you have any news regarding fighting. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Good job with the magic cards, by the way. Well done. Oh, thank you. That was a lot of fun. Tune yeah. in to Josh Brenner Conquers the World. People out there, iTunes, SoundCloud, and some FoxSports.com. Josh L. Barnett on Twitter and Instagram for all my other zany shenanigans. <laughs> there he is. The one and only Josh Barnett. Thank you, Josh. The War Master stopping by. So interesting stuff there. It sounds like he'd be interested in the Rochelle fight, but doesn't sound like he's coming back anytime soon. Weird. All right. Let's move along one more guests to go, and uh, on Friday, as I mentioned, on Axis TV, Christoph Soshinsky was on Inside MMA and officially announced that he was retiring from the sport. Now, uh, it, you know, obviously, he hadn't fought in quite some time, and uh, there were there there was some talk that he was uh, walking away from the sport, but he never really made it official until Friday. And in that interview on Inside MMA, he had some very interesting things to say about his career and where he's at right now as far as his health is concerned. So I wanted to have him on the show to talk about all that and much more. So we got Christoph on the line right now, right here on the MMA Hour. Christoph, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for joining us. So as I mentioned, on, on Friday, you officially announced that you were done. MMA as far as fighting is concerned and the last time you fought was December of 2011. Why did it take you so long to officially say you're done? I'm not really sure, you know. I, I think I, within, my, within my inner circle of, uh, of my family and my friends, we all knew that uh, I was done. Um, just, you know, everybody on, on whether it's on Facebook or Twitter always keeps asking me, are you fighting again? Are you fighting again? And, and I guess it was just that time where, where I was like, okay, let's just let everybody know what's going on. And, and on top of that, I also saw the T.J. Grant article about him having some, some issues 
um, uh, with, with post-concussion stuff. And I uh, just kind of wanted to give my take on what's going on with me. So maybe if he reads it, he you know, will, will maybe listen and, and, and think about you know, fighting again. When you lost to Igor Prokryich at UFC 140 back in December of 2011, December 10th in Toronto, did you know after that fight that you were done? Uh, no, actually, no. Um, I actually wanted to have one more fight. I knew that my career was coming down to an end, and it was because of my knees, not because of my head. Um, having eight knee surgeries and, uh, and, and knowing how bad they were for my camp with Igor, um, I just I wanted to have that one tenth, tenth, tenth fight in the UFC. That was the goal. The goal was to get the tenth fight in the UFC, and, uh, and I got to nine, and I really wanted that last one. And I, when, I, when I took the six months off after the Eagle fight, I called up Joe Silva and I asked him if he can put me on a card. And he, he offered me a fight in Australia in, 2000, uh, in December of 2012. I accepted the fight. I had the contract. I signed it. We were ready to go. And then, uh, yeah, just, uh, just had a first little light sparring session with, uh, with a 155-pounder. And, uh, and, yeah, just things didn't go as well as they should. And my brain literally, literally told me, I, just, I don't want this anymore. And that's when I kind of realized that, hey, there's something going on with me. And, and then, so throughout those six months, you know, I mean, things were happening where, where, where I was kind of, you know, very forgetting things and just misplacing things, getting frustrated with things, learning my words and stuff like that. But I didn't really think that much of it. You know, I thought, okay, no big deal. We'll just deal with it and we'll hopefully it'll get better. And then I sent out an email to, to the UFC and then, you know, Dana White called me right back and they were really worried. And, you know, he basically right there in the spot in that, in that conversation we had over the phone just told me we we're going to retire you and, uh, we're gonna we're gonna send you over to Vegas to get all your te- head done and head tests done, and uh, that's what I did. What did those tests reveal? Um, everything was fine. Um, the the test revealed that my memory is not very very good. Um, I had a memory test. It was a, it was a, a memory test on the computer. You got to follow certain pictures and all this stuff, and I didn't do as well as uh, as, as I should have. And uh, uh, but as far as like cat cat scans go and all CT scans and all that stuff, everything was good. Um, there was no issues there. Um, See, in the, in the Eagle fight, um, from what the doctor told me, I got, uh, I've only watched that fight one time, and I, got, I took six shots right to the temple after I got dropped. And uh, when I spoke with the doctor who was on Inside MMA, he says, well, that's the exact spot where, where, where the, you know, the brain focuses on memory. And uh, he says, that's probably the reason why you're having some, some issues uh, with, with, your, with, your, with your memory. Uh, as far as everything else goes, as far as, you know, uh, equilibrium and, and dizziness and all that stuff, I'm perfectly fine. I've never really had any of those issues. I had one little late dizzy spell uh, a few months back, but it wasn't nothing serious. Just laid back down for five minutes, well, got back up, and everything was fine. But uh, it was just the memory stuff. And uh, he told me that sort the doc said. He said that's the perfect spot you got hit. That's probably where the that's where the mus- the, the memory part of the brain is, and uh, that's what happened. So, how is your memory these days? Um, it's it's the same as it's been over the last two and a half years. Uh, you know, I forget things. I. Uh, I don't remember much of, you know, what happened two days ago. Uh, even I remember much what happened yesterday. My wife and I always, you know, have conversations. Even today I asked her, I asked her a question that I already asked her yesterday. And then she actually said, you already told you this already yesterday. And I, I didn't remember. So it's just those little small things that, that, like I said in that interview, that you take for granted that you kind of miss out on. And it's, 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 everything else is fine. Um, you know, I, I do tend to read a lot more now. So my vocabulary is getting better and growing. Uh, but as far as the, the whole, you know, short-term memory stuff that, what I did yesterday, um, the day before, um, just 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 questions, kind of kind of countdowns when I do when I teach classes, and I'm counting back to you know eight, t- uh, ten, eight, six, four, two. You know, I'll mess that up from time to time, and just uh, sometimes I'll even say you know two words at the same exact time that just makes no make no sense, and it just 
yeah, it's just weird. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be speaking with somebody, and then all of a sudden I'll just I'll completely blank out. I'll just start thinking about something completely else. Yeah, I'm looking at him. I'm listening to the conversation, but I just completely tune out. It's all things like that that just kind of bother me and try to understand, like, what's going on with, the, with, 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 with my brain and why is it doing that. Have you been told that it's going to get worse? Um, no, no. Um, I spoke with a doctor yesterday. I'm um, on Friday on his in May, and he says as long as I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing, um, as long as I am, uh, I'm kind of focusing on, you know, playing, you know, just still learning and still reading more. And um, I even started doing these, um, these memory puzzle games and on the computer and, and all this other stuff. You know, I took the TV out of the house and, and don't watch as much TV as I used to and just kind of focus more on, you know, keeping my brain busy and occupied rather than just, just let it let, let do nothing and just, just watch TV and stuff like that. So, I, you know, it, it's not getting any worse. Um, I haven't been told it's going to get worse, but it hasn't gotten any better. Um, I, I feel like my vocabulary has gotten better from, from reading books and stuff like that, but as far as the memory goes, um, I'm having a, still a hard time with, with, with the short-term memory stuff. Looking back, do you feel like you fought too long, that you should have retired sooner? Uh, no, not at all. I, you know, this was this happened in, in a fight. <laughs> uh, it, it didn't, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't exper- uh, experiencing these symptoms uh, before this fight. It's it just one of those things that happens in a fight. I, I definitely should have, uh, um, you know, taken care of my knees a little better. <laughs> but, uh, but as far as the head goes, um, I was perfectly fine before that fight. It's just one of those things where, you know, you just take too many shots and you put, you know, hit me around the right spot. And, um, yeah, I didn't have to deal with it. It's, it's, it's just part of the game. I understand it. And, uh, you know, I'm just, just just wanted to let everybody know what was up and uh, that, hey, if, if, if you are having some head issues, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in the sport having head issues, that you should really listen to your to your head and listen to your brain what's telling. So since this came out, and, you know, we don't hear these stories uh, too often in MMA, since this came out on, on Friday, did you hear from other fighters who reached out and said thank you or can you can you give me some advice? Anyone reach out Actually, to you? Actually, I did. I had an email from a, from a fighter who, 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 no, not as high level as, as the UFC or anything like that, but he, he, he basically said, thank you very much, and uh, he understands where I'm coming from because he's dealing with the same thing. So, so that's a fighter that, that, that reached out to me. I've had a lot of guys just, just say that uh, they're, they're just very happy that finally somebody had, you know, who's experiencing these things actually had said something because, uh, you know, it's, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, the last thing I wanted to do was, was tell the world that, hey, I'm having some, some head trouble. Uh, that isn't, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I wouldn't look upon as being a dumb guy or anything like that. And, and that, was, that was definitely tough. But uh, I felt like it was one of those things where I just wanted to come out and let everybody know this wasn't a plea for help or anything like that. This wasn't, you know, me trying to get back to the limelight or anything like that. I just, just reading those articles by T.J. Grant and then just, hearing some more issues with, with guys just dealing with, 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 with head troubles and just looking at all the other sports like NFL and all that stuff. I just wanted to let everybody know what is up and that this stuff is serious. And, you know, if anybody's out there who does is having some, some of these troubles like I am, then, you know, they should definitely listen to their head and listen to their body and, uh, you know, possibly it's that time to kind of move on and do something else. The UFC, as you may know, teamed up with a bunch of other different promoters in MMA and boxing uh, for this Cleveland Clinic study, uh, you know, for, to, to yeah. observe, you know, the, the trauma that athletes, um, you know, will take and develop uh, from being in combat sports. Are you going to be yeah. a part of this at all? Um, if, if, if that's something that they want me to do, then I'll definitely be a part of it, 100%. Okay, so they haven't reached out to you, you haven't done anything with uh, it? Yeah, I haven't done any any kind of study or anything like that with, uh, or haven't met anybody with from us from any kind of study. No. Do you feel like the UFC took care of you? Absolutely, um, they definitely took care of me. You know, um, 
they, they even paid me my purse in, uh, for, for Sydney, Australia. That, that didn't happen. They, uh, they flew me over to Las Vegas for a day and a half of, of complete, you know, complete physical, I mean, uh, neurology exams, um, the CT scans and all that stuff. And, uh, they didn't have to do any of that stuff. And, uh, and I definitely thank him for, for doing that. And uh, even 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 now, just doing what I do, you know, I'm still with the company. I, I work for the UFC gym. I, I love my job. I get to pass on knowledge. I get to pass on knowledge to students, and I get to get to help other coaches learn how to how to how to train our students. So it's a, it's, it's an amazing opportunity for me to, to kind of move on as well and still be a part. You know, Dana White and I, whenever we see each other at the UFC gym, we always talk. We always t- you know he always tells me how proud he is of me of, of moving on uh, after my career and stuff like that. So it's 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 always always been good. What exactly do you do at the gym, and which location are you at? Um, uh, well, I'm the director of mixed martial arts for the for the company. So basically, what wow. I do is um, we have we have you have the ultimate program, which is our mixed martial arts program. And I travel right now. I'm currently out of uh, UFC gym Torrance, but uh, I travel around to all the other gyms in California and uh, in North America, as far as New York, and and, uh, and 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 I basically make sure that the, the there's a there the the program that we that we provide is you know on, on, is, is is the right program that it uh, that we're teaching it the right way that you know if we're saying it's kickboxing we're actually teaching kickboxing it's boxing it's boxing it's MMA it's MMA there's some authenticity to 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 the program that we're teaching so um, it's I, I love the job I love I'm very passionate about teaching I've always been told that I'm a better uh, coach than I am a fighter so just kind of moving on and just focusing on that. Uh, I've always loved it. I still train. You know, I train Carlos Brezza, who is who's in the Ultimate Fighter House right now. Um, I trained. Uh, Sh- uh, sorry, I trained uh, Machida as well. I'm getting Adam ready for his last two fights, uh, strength and conditioning. So it's 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 amazing to see these fighters coming to our gym and, uh, and 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 training there. Speaking of training other people, I was told that uh, Hollywood mogul, as I call him, the the actor from Pitch Perfect, friend of the show, Skylar Aston, is one of your students as well. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've met I met Austin a few months back, and he came in through the gym and uh, wanted to do some pad work and wanted to get his strength and conditioning up. He he's interested in doing some more some uh, uh, he's really interested in doing an action movie. So uh, yeah, we started talking and hanging out, and uh, you know we um, we talk a lot. We have fun, and um, I'm, you know he, he was even talking about possibly having me on one of his uh, one of his episodes of his of his TV show as, as his path coach and stuff like that. So. Yeah, no, it's, he's an awesome guy. We're having fun, and uh, yeah, I just I just like the fact that you know I get to pass on this knowledge to 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 all all these people. It's amazing. How's your acting career going? You were, of course, you, do you know that you were you were you were in Here Comes the Boom, and do you know that event that you competed against uh, Kevin James was UFC 176 that ended up being canceled. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. No, that's crazy, <laughs> right? How's the acting career crazy. going? Um, I think career is going not too bad. You know, ever since Here Comes the Boom, I've done four other movies. I've had my very first uh, uh, lead role. I guess you could say I was the lead bad guy in a movie called Taps. Uh, it, went, it did go straight to DVD. It was a smaller budget movie. You know, I got myself on a poster. I have speaking lines, a lot of fight scenes. I have a knife scene and a gun scene. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's nice to do something different. You know, I feel like I'm living like that, that American, uh, that, that life, you know, that dream, that living that American dream. You know, I, moving from Poland to, to, uh, to Canada, I've met for the last six years spending my time in, in California and just living in beautiful, sunny California. It got me to do, you know, movies. I'm working on DJing. I'm going to have my first gig by the end of this year as a DJ. You know, just, just having all these things, or these fun things that I can do. And, and on top of that, you know, just have, have, a, have a great job with the UFC company. It's, it's just been an amazing journey for me. What kind of a DJ are you? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm huge into drum and bass, the, the fast stuff, the fast and the hard stuff. So I, 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 I play a lot of drum and bass. I have some of the pioneers of drum and bass. 
in California, kind of being my coaches, and I'm learning how to scratch, I'm learning how to how to mix, I'm learning how to beat match, I'm learning all that stuff, and it's just been a lot, having a lot of fun with it. And these guys have been very supportive of me. Um, I get to meet some of these, some of the some of the best drum and bass DJs on the planet uh, out of California, and uh, just passing on knowledge to to me and helping me out. It's, it's been amazing. You know, the last time you were on my show was back in 2011, and you said some very interesting stuff that people still talk to me about today. On that show, you said that you believe that 85 to 96 percent of MMA fighters were on some kind of PED, and now this is a gigantic story. People weren't talking about it as much back then. Now you see what happens with GSP retiring and all these guys getting popped. Do you think it's worse now? Um, I, I, I'll just say I told you. Yeah, you did tell me. Wow. You, 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 Absolutely. It, it, you know what? It, it's not even a it's, it's every sport out there. You know what I mean? Think about it. If, if you were told as an athlete that, hey, I have something for you that's going to make you bigger, faster, stronger, and better, and it's undetectable in the body, and it's only going to cost you a little bit of money, but it's going to get you to where you want to be, are you not going to take that stuff? <laughs> well, you might get caught, right? Well, you might, but... Yeah. I'm There's no guarantee. You can't. As long as you pass, as long as you do what I tell you, you're gonna be able. You're gonna be okay. Um, people are gonna take that, and that's what it is. It's it's just part of the game. It's part of being sports. Part of being an athlete. It's it's it's, it's in our blood to be better and 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 to 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 get to the number one spot in, in the world at anything that we do. So it's 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 a hard thing for for a lot of athletes to to say no to, and uh, a lot of them don't. And it's just 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 the way it works. Do you think it's worse now? Um, I think it's the same. I, I've said it before, and you know, I mean, it's, I said eighty percent, ninety percent, whatever it was. Right. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's. I don't think it's worse. It's always been there. It's just we're finally understanding why. We're finally doing the better testing now. You know, um, you know when you, when you start testing for HGH and EPO and all this stuff, when before you were just testing for testosterone, well, then that's 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 the difference. Is you now you're testing for all these things that. Uh, MMA, the sport of MMA is about. MMA sports not about testosterone. It's more about endurance training than anything else. Well, endurance is EPO and a bunch of other these things, growth hormone and all this stuff, GH and all that stuff. So those are the things that you're going to test for. Those are the things you're going to find in the body. So before you see them testing for those things, now they are, and that's why they're finding these guys being on. Do you think they're doing a good enough job of weeding out the cheaters? Oh, slowly for sure. It's 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 not going to happen overnight. But uh, you know, I'm really liking the fact that they're 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 not telling anybody when the tests are happening. They're just yeah. showing up at your door and giving you a test. I think that's awesome. That's fantastic. That's that's the best way to do it. Because you can you can you don't have to have a fight to take a test. And I like that. I like the fact that they can show up at any time to your place. And whether it's you you having a fight in six months, whether you just had a fight and you're three weeks after your fight, um, and they're and they're doing that. I think that's fantastic. That's the best way to do it. Let me ask you two last things, and then I'll let you go. Is there any lesson that younger fighters can learn from you about you know treating your your brain with the utmost care? You know, sometimes guys, we hear about the suspensions that you're on. You know, these these suspensions after fights. You know, you have to rest after you have an injury. But you guys are sparring, and who knows the kinds of concussions or injuries that you're suffering there? And then you're coming back, you know, a few days later or fighting a week later. 100%. I mean, what can a fighter do to take care? I mean, it's a brutal thing. It's 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 yeah. it's, it's it's a lot of trauma that you're. You're 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 absorbing for an entire career, but Absolutely. what can fighters do to avoid memory loss and you know sometimes even worse? I think I think you should start with, with just the training alone. Just just make sure that you if you are sparring, you're wearing headgear and then you have a proper mouthpiece. I think that's a, that's a really big important thing. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I rarely wore headgear during my during my days of training, and I mean we're going head toe to toe with Dan Henderson, and we're going toe to toe with Mark Munoz, and and I'm going toe to toe with 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 the, the team that team Tom Tompkins guys, you know Sam Stout and and Hordecki and all those guys, and and everybody all those guys hits hard. So I think it all starts with just taking care of your head first, just putting the 
getting that proper mouthpiece from the dentist, spending that $100, $150, and getting that proper mouthpiece, getting that really good headgear that protects you everywhere, and that you actually wear it all the time. Uh, another thing is I always also find that a lot of these guys are sparring almost on a daily basis. I, I remember my times at Team Quest, and we used to literally beat the crap out of each other on a daily basis. Um, uh, you know, had sparring matches in the morning, real MMA sparring matches in the morning with small gloves. We had sparring in the evenings and stuff like that. And, 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 and you know, I, I understand it. I get it. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I had a blast with it. It made me, made me definitely made me a bigger, stronger, tougher person. But I think that definitely takes a toll on your body after a while. And, and I think guys should just really focus a little more on the technique aspect and focusing on the, on the pad sessions and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the MMA, the BJJ stuff, the striking stuff separately and then once you know once or twice a week only go into the, the, the go to your gym and, and, and spar we're seeing a situation now with gray maynard where he's getting knocked out frequently and it wasn't happening before and i'm wondering if dana white didn't say you're retired today would you have kept on fighting do fighters need someone to tell them it's over uh sometimes they definitely do uh, i definitely think that you know you know, if you've been knocked out two, three, four times in a row or four, three, four, five times in a row in the last, you know, five, six, seven fights, I think that's definitely an issue right there. And that's definitely that's a, that's, a, that's a red light right there for you to actually think about if you should not be kind of moving on and doing something else. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's very tough for anybody to, to be told or to even think about, you know, moving away from something that you truly love and you're passionate about and it's, it's, it's providing for your family. Like, you know, I look at Mark Munoz, for example, you know, he, he, he got, he got a really bad elbow from, um, from Chris Weidman and it got dropped and uh, took a lot of shots after he got knocked out right after that. And he fought Machida, he got head kicked and got knocked out right there. Then he had a really tough fight. His last fight against Musashi, uh, didn't do so well. And then he just signed a new contract with the UFC. You know, it's, it's a friend of mine. I worry about him. You know, I, I texted him and I asked him, you know, how your head is and all this stuff, how you feeling? It's one of those things where, where, you know, you're looking from the outside in. It's like, I want to tell this guy, it's like, listen, hey, you have a family. You have, you have three kids. You know what I mean? You've you, you got to think about your, your future and stuff like that. And I know UFC pays your bills and, and the fighting pays your bills, but sometimes it's, it's that time you got to think about it, sit back and say, hey, what else can I do to, to, to make this money? Is this, really, is this really all I have? Because, um, you know, all those little things, man, that I'm forgetting, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, I want to remember my, my son's name when I'm, you know, when I'm 50 years old, 60 years old, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that. You, know, you never know. You think he should retire? Do I think Mark Munoz should retire? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's definitely his decision, but I think he's, I think he's, he's close. I think as a friend, I, I worry about him, and, and I know he's an amazing, amazing wrestling coach, and he's got such an amazing gym over there and the family he has. Um, I, I think he should slowly start thinking about, you know, possibly moving on to something something bigger and better because you know one more knockout one more thing like that and what he's been through over the last you know three four fights is, is it could, could definitely hurt him somehow okay last question favorite moment of your career favorite moment of your career i got two of them so okay. the first one was montreal <laughs> that was that was an amazing experience for me fighting in canada in front of you know twenty two thousand fans uh, beating brian stan and then winning by the kimura and uh, even that, that that thing that I did at the end with the Kamara, where it pointed back, was was part of the part of the uh, what's it called? Part of the video game. So uh, that little Kamara sign that I did after I beat him. So that was mm -hmm. awesome. And I had a chance to walk out to a Polish song in Germany, and I heard a whole bunch of Polish people singing it with me. And that was definitely one of uh, one of my happiest moments. I got to see my grandparents after flew to Poland and all that stuff. So those two would be would be two of the most memorable experiences and my two wars with Stefan Bonner were amazing as well so I have so many that uh, you know but those are those are by far my two favorite moments yeah great great stuff and uh, you represented Canada very well as uh, you know I know I know you are called the Polish experiment but 
you yep, represented sir. Manitoba and now, of course, uh, the great state of California. So congratulations on a great career, Christoph. I, I commend you for coming out there. Even though it took you a couple of years to do it, I commend you for uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. letting the cat out of the bag and letting us know that your career is over. But it's important to talk about this stuff. And uh, I think you're a great role model in that sense. And, and great to see that you're still a part of MMA and uh, teaching the younger fighters and even Hollywood actors. How about that? And having a, a fine yeah, acting absolutely. career of your own. So all the best to you, Christoph. I, I wish you the best as far as your health and career is concerned post-fighting and uh, keep us posted on, on and everything you're doing. I know you're on Twitter and whatnot, but uh, you know, always good to hear from you and, and I wish you all the best. Absolutely, Errol. Thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. All right, there he is, the Polish experiment himself, Krzysztof Soszynski, a fine UFC career, also fought in uh, the IFL for many years, even had a cup of coffee in Strikeforce. Fought Mike Kyle to a draw at Strikeforce Shamrock versus Gracie, the first ever Strikeforce event. Fought for a while at TKO, which was a Quebec-based organization. And uh, even though he last fought in December of 2011, it has been some time, almost three years. Good to hear him come out and talk about why he walked away from the sport and good on the UFC for taking care of him and telling him the time has come. It's amazing. I, you know, I kind of forgot about that Brian Stan win. That's a, that's a pretty good one. He had a solid winning streak there after the loss to Ben Rothwell. Won one, two, three, four, five, six in a row. Interestingly enough, the first event that I was ever credentialed for, he competed on. December 15, 2007, I was credentialed as a uh, writer for jerrypark.com. The website was one month old. And I went to HDNet Fights, Reckless Abandon. That was in Dallas, Texas, American Airlines Arena. He fought Robert Viegas, and he won via DQ because Viegas refused to fight. He was laying on his back. That show was headlined by Mayhem Miller versus Tim Kennedy, and also Frank Trigg was on the card. That was when HGNet's they had decided they were going to promote their own shows and then quickly decided that they're not going to do that. They're just going to team up with other promoters and air the fights. I actually forgot that he was on that card as well. And I always appreciated the fact that they credentialed me with not a lot of experience under my belt. And that is a great segue, my friends, to week two of our Inside the Vault. We're calling this segment Inside the Vault because we go inside the MMAfighting.com vault for a look at a classic interview. Now, last week I said that the interview that we aired with Dana White, UFC 112 post-fight, Anderson Silva acting all crazy, was a no-brainer. And this one that we're looking at this week is also a no-brainer because back in 2009, you know, I was just a young buck trying to work my way up and uh, get noticed and do my thing. And I had just started working for AOL.com. And uh, of course, I was working for FanHouse, which uh, is no longer with us, but that was a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, when opportunities would come up here in the New York area, I would go out and do interviews. You know, there were less MMA events back then, so there were more opportunities to do stuff locally. And that included stuff outside of mixed martial arts. Uh, I did a fun video at Madison Square Garden interviewing the Nick City dancers. They were trying out 
to be the Nick City Dancers, I think for the 2009-2010 season. I went to Steve Nash's uh, charity soccer game on the Lower East Side and interviewed a bunch of athletes there. And uh, another event that I attended was a press conference at Yankee Stadium for the upcoming Manny Pacquiao versus Miguel Cotto fight. And what was interesting about this uh, press conference was that they were holding it at Yankee Stadium, even though um, even though the, the 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 fight wasn't taking place at Yankee Stadium, but it was just kind of a, a you know a big deal, and, and 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 it was kind of a sign of things to come in in a way. People were wondering, well, does this mean that they're going to start you know holding events at Yankee Stadium, which they used to do back in the good old days? Now, I was at the uh, media event covering it, as I said, for Fanhouse.com, and you know, I was coming there as an MMA guy and maybe, you know, with, 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 with an MMA bias or MMA slant, if you will. And this was a hot topic because later on that month, September of 2009, boxing and MMA were going head-to-head. Boxing and the UFC were going head-to-head. There was going to be UFC 103. What date was that? I believe, if memory serves me correct, I think it was September 19th. Is that correct? Was it September? Yeah, it was. Wow, that's unbelievable. Uh, September 19th, it was headlined by Rich Franklin versus Vitor Belfort. That was taking place in uh, Dallas, Texas, also the American Airlines Arena Center. Arena is in Miami. And that same night, Floyd Mayweather was fighting Juan Manuel Marquez. And this was significant because it was it was a very big deal to have two big pay-per-view events going on at the same time. Now, the boxing match was obviously a bigger deal because it was Mayweather, but there was some talk back and forth. Who would do better? Who would suffer as a result? Uh, Dana White put out a video. Mayweather talked about it, et cetera, et cetera. And this was happening in 19 days. So it was, it was a very big deal. It was a hot topic. The UFC going up against Floyd Mayweather and uh, who would win, right? So I was at this media event on September 10th, 2009, and I see Bob Arum. Now, Bob Arum is, in case you don't know, he is you know, a longtime boxing promoter from Top Rank and CEO of Top Rank, and uh, he's been doing this for years and years and years. I mean, the, the guy has had an amazing career as far as boxing promotion is concerned. Never was the biggest MMA fan, but never really ruffled feathers. I mean, Dana White kind of always got under his skin, but never really ruffled feathers like he did when I interviewed him at Yankee Stadium. Um, we started off talking about boxing coming to Yankee Stadium, what had happened, then UFC going head-to-head with a boxing event, and then he just got into his thoughts on MMA. And this was pretty shocking stuff. Shocking stuff, and it was picked up all over the place, and got us some attention, did some interviews after the fact and whatnot. And I always kind of regretted the way I handled the situation because I felt I interjected my own opinion a little too much. Um, And then sometimes I kind of felt like maybe I should have been a little tougher on old Bob Arum. But in any event, uh, this is the interview. This is the the second week of Inside the Vault. This is the one that we're going to look at, September 10th, 2009, me interviewing Bob Arum at Yankee Stadium, 19 days before the UFC went head-to-head with Floyd Mayweather. And Bob Arum, out of nowhere, gave us some very bizarre thoughts on mixed martial arts. Not a fan, and it picked up a lot of press. A lot of attention came as a result of this interview. So here it is, 
me interviewing Bob Barham at Yankee Stadium. Fanhouse.com at Yankee Stadium for the Manny Pacquiao Miguel Cotto press conference, and we're being joined by top ranks Bob Barham. And Bob, this is a very exciting event for New Yorkers to have a press conference here in Yankee Stadium. Do you think we'll ever see the day that we'll see a big fight here? Yeah, I think that one of the reasons we had the press conference here in Yankee Stadium is it's a precursor for a big, big event here at the stadium. Nothing would be better for boxing. It would be great to come back to Yankee Stadium and to do uh, a big event. Uh, and I can't wait, and we're going to do it next year. Really? Is that the plan? That's the plan. Maybe the winner of the uh, Mayweather-Marquez fight fighting the winner of this fight? I don't think so. But uh, certainly uh, a big fight is going to happen uh, uh, next year, and it will happen at Yankee Stadium. Um, do you think that the, those two winners will face off, or are there, is there too many hurdles involved? Uh, you know, I, I really can't tell. I mean, let's see who wins, uh, and then we'll see. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, Marquez uh, is more predictable than Mayweather. Uh, so if Manny wins and Marquez wins, uh, the drum beats will roll for a Manny-Marquez fight, which is a, would be a, po a real possibility. If Mayweather wins against either of these guys, uh, he's just a problem and a head case, and it would be very, very difficult to put a match together. I'd like to get your take on something a good friend of yours, uh, UFC President Dana White, said recently. He said, uh, you know, no one wants to see Mayweather fight Marquez. People want to see Pacquiao fight Mayweather. And you, as you know, boxing and UFC are going head-to-head uh, -head next weekend. Um, you know, UFC 103 against uh, the Mayweather fight. Do you think at some point boxing is going to have to make a fight like that? And, and because of the competition from MMA and more specifically the UFC, have to give the, fight, uh, give the fans the fights um, involving these megastars? Well, Pacquiao and... Cotto is the best fight that can be made from a action standpoint. Mayweather is a tremendous talent. The real problem with Mayweather is we used to call it years ago a fighter who stinks his opponent out. He doesn't engage. He's a great defensive fighter. People don't want to spend money watching a defensive fighter. That's the problem. Now, it may very well be that a Pacquiao-Mayweather fight uh, can be built up and people can talk about it, but in my heart and heart, I know this will be like a hunter running around a ring looking for a deer. And pe that's not boxing. I mean, Mayweather will not engage his opponent, and that makes a stinking fight. And if people are being asked to spend $50 to watch it on pay-per-view, I can see they would have a reluctance. Now, when sure he did big numbers when he fought Oscar, but it was Oscar and he conned the people. I'm going to go out and I'm going to knock him out. People know Mayweather now. They know the son of a gun doesn't fight. He fights scared. Now, that's okay. I don't want to demean it. If this was like a pitcher, you know, who had a great curveball and struck everybody out so there was no action, it would be great. But he's a boxer and he has to entertain. And Mayweather does not entertain. Outside the ring, yeah, he shoots up cars, 
He does other things like that, and he entertains. But in the ring, he's not an entertaining fighter. So do you think that fight will bomb on pay-per-view, the, the Mayweather fight? I have no, no idea how the fight is going to do on pay-per-view. I have no idea whether the, uh, the UFC fight that Dane is putting on will hurt it. For me, I look at the UFC audience and the boxing audience as being two different audiences entirely. Our audience in boxing is ethnic, Hispanic, uh, Filipino, uh, Puerto Rican, Mexican, uh, and the, the hardcore boxing fan who can't watch, like me, can't watch UFC. UFC are a bunch of skinhead white guys watching people in the ring who are also look like skinhead white guys. Well, I take offense to that just for, uh, for someone who covers the sport. I'm not a skinhead. I'm, I'm actually a Jew. I'm not a white, you know, I'm oh, not a white no, guy, so I, nothing like that yeah, know, well, in MMA. I, and you don't have any tattoos. No tattoos, but, but, and a lot of people I know in MMA don't have tattoos yeah, well, as well. 90% of the people in the audience wear tattoos. I don't care. That's up to them. But those aren't people that would have any interest at any time in boxing. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. The only guy they might want to see is Kelly Pavlik. Well, I think uh, we disagree on that. Let's quickly switch gears here for a second. Are you concerned at all with, uh, and uh, do you think, I mean, smiling, or I don't know if you're smiling at him, but it seems like a, bit, a pretty brash thing to say uh, about the sport. I mean, really, if they're two separate, why even take the shot? Because for me, and people like me, it is not something that they ever care to see. They've watched it, it's horrible. Guys rolling around like homosexuals on the ground. I mean, it is not a sport that shows great, great talent. The guys who throw punches can't throw a punch to save their ass. When the punches land, the guys have no chins. These are not like boxes. They are not trained like boxes. But can you really say that about a sport that's generating 1.7 million pay-per-views for UFC 100 and, and getting uh, over uh, a million for UFC 101? I mean, clearly, uh, unless everyone is mistaken and every, anyone, everyone thinks that this is a you know, disgusting sport, something's wrong with our society, right? Well, something's wrong with your math because there ain't no way that that pay-per-view generated anything like the numbers that you gave me and that they put out. I know what the numbers are. What, what did they do? The numbers were south of 1 million. For 100? Yes. Really? Yes. So they're off by 700 or yeah, so yeah. thousand? Who's, who's to check? They're not a public company. Who's to check? All right, let's quickly switch gears here for a second because I think we'll disagree on this for a while. Um, are you concerned at all with the, the, the controversy around where Manny Pacquiao is going to train and, and, and some of the distractions? Is that something on your mind leading into this fight? No, absolutely not. Manny Pacquiao decided he wanted to train back in Baguio. Unfortunately, he can't train most of the time in the U.S. because of tax reasons. And so Freddie and the camp are moving to Baguio after the tour, and he'll be back in the United States four weeks in front of the fight. Okay, and final question, just can't get over it. Have you ever been to an MMA fight before? Yeah, it's terrible. Terrible. You, terrible. Ne you would never... These are all my friends, the Fertitas, you know... Uh, their father, the late father who died, was a very close friend of mine, Dana White, I admire. These guys have done a marvelous job promoting UFC. They've done extremely well. All hats off to them. But for me, it's junk. It's garbage. Any part of you a little bit upset because of how good they're doing? Is that's why you're taking the shots? No, I love the way they, they have shown us because of how well they've do, been doing in certain aspects 
to make us adapt. They do an unbelievable job on advertising on the internet. We're following that. They do an unbelievable job in the arena with music and so forth and steaming up the crowd. We're trying to duplicate it. They are great promoters. They are really sensational promoters and they're really good guys. So I give them all the kudos and all the credit for what they've done. There's no knock on them. These are good class guys who've really built a terrific business. But for me, MMA is garbage and junk. That's how I feel. And I would think that the majority of people in my generation would right. feel the same. And that's probably the problem, right? Maybe. Your generation isn't buying the pay-per-views. Well, neither are the Mexicans, and neither are the Filipinos, and neither are the blacks. Well, that remains to be seen. Thanks for the time, Bob. All right. There's Bob Arum back in 2009, if you're wondering. Uh, Manny Pacquiao ended up winning that fight via TKO against Miguel Cotto in November. And as I mentioned, this received a lot of attention. And the UFC even used it as part of one of their promos to hype the UFC on Fox number one event in November of 2011. They took this clip and they actually did a pretty good job, even though they didn't ask for my permission. But it was it was wild to see this thing spread like wildfire because, you know, back then just trying to make a name, as I mentioned, and Fan House wasn't really known for, you know, our big video interviews and it just got picked up everywhere and of course when you compare MMA to uh, homosexual activity and calling all the fighters skinheads and all this stuff I mean it was just very outlandish and if you're wondering Mayweather did generate a higher gate and sold more pay-per-views although we don't know 100% how many pay-per-views uh, it's sold because, at least the UFC event, because they don't make this public. As Bob mentioned in his interview, that was also very interesting, that him saying that they were lying about the UFC 100 buy rate, although the UFC never actually admitted how many pay-per-views, even though it has been reported that it did around 1.6, 1.7. They never actually admitted how many it did. He said it did south of a million. Kind of sounds like these days with Bellator and the UFC. In any event, a fun look back at uh, one of the more wild interviews, and that's you know what I was talking about before we went into the interview. When you're thrown a curveball like that early on, you know I went to the next question, and then I was thinking, wait a second, I got to stick on this, so I, I went back to it, and you know it, it was it was a big surprise, and to hear him talk like that, and uh, to get a curveball like that, so uh, I I look back at that interview and think, man. I really kind of messed that one up and fumbled the ball, but it was uh, it was one that I'll never forget at Yankee Stadium, no less. Thank you very much to Bob Arum. All right, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, hope you continue to enjoy this segment. And now it is time to answer some questions before we go home. Do we have some questions, Mr. New York Rick? We have questions. We got answers. Hopefully we also have answers. Ooh. That's a shot. At who? Mr. Coker? No. <laughs> I think it was a good shot. That was not... <laughs> that wasn't even... Well, I was told... I was told that we were going to have answers, and quite frankly, I don't know if we got that many. I feel a little bit like I was sold some... What do they call those things? Wolf tickets? 
right? I mean, am I crazy here or what? You are not crazy. Okay. But uh, that, that was not where I was going with that, but I do. Well, it was a job well done. Um, wolf tickets indeed. Um, okay, let's start with Gray Maynard. Uh, this person says, I thought Gray Maynard looked good on Saturday night. The best I've seen him look since Frankie, yet it's quite clear his chin just isn't what it once was. Uh, do you share the thought that it's probably time for him to hang up the gloves? And after contemplating retirement due to head trauma, should he even have gotten back in there in the first place? Well, that's a tough one to answer, the second question, but I do think it's time. You know, again, I, I've said this before. I feel weird. I don't think it's our place to do it. You ask me a question, I'll answer it. I do think it's time. <clears throat> if I was a loved one of Gray Maynard, you know, he's not, you know, a young buck. No spring chicken. 35 years old, been through a lot, has been competing for a very long time outside of MMA. He's a guy who obviously was a great collegiate wrestler and all that stuff. Didn't take, you know, the, the head trauma that he takes today, but he's been through a lot. He's been an athlete for a very long time. And when you suffer three straight knockouts like that, when you also throw in the fact that he was brutally knocked out by Frankie Edgar, which I think kind of started all of this, that picture that we have right over there, UFC 136, it's just too much. And you hear what Christoph Soshinsky was talking about, memory loss, and he's lucky if it's just that, if it ends at memory loss. There's a whole lot worse that you can develop over time with this. You know, this is a brutal sport. You take a lot of strikes to the head, and sometimes you don't know when to say when, and it just gets really, really worse. So if I was a loved one of Gray Maynard, I would say enough is enough. There's no point. And you got to feel for him because Fabricio Camoish, who was his original opponent, is a much less, how should I put this, um, he's, a, he's a less dangerous fighter than Ross Pearson. Pearson has developed into a solid striker, and he looked great in this fight. His boxing looked very good, and he was able to put away Gray Maynard. I don't think many people thought Fabricio Camosha would do the same. And that's a, that's a big step up in competition as well, in my opinion. So I liked what they were doing with Fabricio. I thought they were bringing Gray back slowly. Things change. You get put in a fight against Ross Pearson, who had uh, a lot to prove coming off that controversial loss to Diego Sanchez not that long ago, and now you get knocked out again. I, I, I think it's time. You ask me my opinion, I think it's time. Am I going to go out campaign? It's ultimately his decision. But if you ask me, no more. No mas. I do agree, though, that he looked good. The, the, the game plan looked good. He was, he was mixing gray? it up. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like you know Chuck Liddell looked good before he got knocked oh, out I'm by not, Rich Franklin. I'm, I'm not trying to argue that that's a reason why um, that's a reason why he should stick around and take more brain damage, but um, it does put to rest. Like I personally thought that he didn't look great in these last couple of fights yeah. where he was getting knocked out, uh, where it was a case where he looked sloppy and then got caught. In this one, I thought he looked on point. He looked sharp, uh, but his chin just does, can't hold up that, anymore. That's the thing. It, it doesn't seem like he could take a punch like he used to, and that's yeah. you know, it's not. This is not the first time we've seen this before. You know, Chuck Liddell used to take a lot of punches, and the guy was you know iron chin, and and then towards the end, this just happens. Um, I think it happened maybe a little sooner than most expected with Gray because he was so dominant for a long time in the UFC and you know he was he was undefeated until that uh, that Frankie Edgar loss and well it wasn't gradual is, yeah. is the thing it happened overnight Frankie Edgar knocked him out and that was it I really think that was the beginning we'll never know for sure but that knock you remember that knockout of UFC 136 I it do. was just so flush bang when he when he nailed him and then he fell up against the cage it was, and again as we were saying with Chuck. He was so close. UFC 125, he was so close to becoming champion. Ends in a draw. 136 starts out 
unbelievably well, loses the fight via knockout. So you understand why he's trying to recapture that glory. But again, he's moving around, right? He went from Extreme Couture to AKA. Now he's at Power MMA. He's searching for something, and I just don't know if it's there anymore. Really nice guy. Always been great to us. Um, you know, always happy to see him, talk to him, all that stuff. But, you know, for his own well-being, there are people around them, in my opinion, who have to say enough is enough. Our next question is about Ryan Bader. Can Ryan Bader ever be more than a light heavyweight gatekeeper? Uh, is there anyone in the top five that you think he could get a win over? The, this uh, lists Gustafson, Cormier, Teixeira, Evans, and Anthony Johnson. Personally, I have no interest in the anticipated Rumble versus Bader fight. If Phil Davis couldn't keep him on the mat, I don't see Bader having much of a hope. That's well, in regard to Rumble. Yeah, and they're not including John Jones because they're going with the UFC route. Uh, here with the rankings where they don't include them in the top 10, although I do include the champion in the top 10. Anyhow, um, of those guys, I think he has the best chance against maybe Teixeira, maybe, um, but I, 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 I don't see it. I don't see it right now. Um, I'd rather see Rumble versus Gustafsson, but I don't know if this comes up. I would have no problem with Gustafson saying thanks but no thanks and waiting for the winner. Now, he'll have to be out for a very long time, and that sucks for him and everyone involved, but he had the title shot, and it's so hard to get that title shot, and Rumble Johnson isn't a guy that you're just going to walk right through, so I can understand why he'll say thanks but no thanks. If that is the case, I think the only fight that really makes sense is Rumble versus Bader next. Um, but do I think that he is going to be a champion? Have I seen that out of him as of late? Unfortunately not. I, I think he'll always be a very tough out. I think he'll be right there. He's not quite a gatekeeper because I think a gatekeeper is usually lower. I mean, obviously a win over Bader means a lot, but I kind of view him a step above a gatekeeper if that even exists. Well, what? so what is the gate exactly? Well, no, I mean, if you beat, if you beat Ryan, but I think there are other people who are... I don't know. I, I just, I don't... I, I think he's he, like almost okay. a per, I don't like perfect the, I don't like the of... gatekeeper term. I like the litmus test term. He is a litmus test. If you beat Ryan Bader, you're ready for the big time. Okay, you but that's, you're not. that's the same thing. I don't like that term. I just don't like the term. That, that's fine by me. I have no problem with you not liking the term. Um, I also think there's kind of this thing where if somebody gets that label of gatekeeper or people think of them in that regard, they think that it's a waste of time to kind of give them that, that next uh, step up, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think if you know, Ryan Bader continues to earn um, that next step up, then he needs to get the next fight. Um, whether you think he's capable of beating the people in that echelon or not. No, I no think he's that, still, yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Because I feel like people, when, when you get like a Bisbing, for example, they, you know, they have no interest in seeing him continue to progress because they say once he gets there, right. it's a waste of time, he's going to choke. But whatever the case may be, um, I think that that's kind of like a, a, a misguided um, way to look at it. I think Bader has, you know, earned every time he's gotten close to the top, he's earned that that uh, that ascension, and I think that he will continue to do that. Um, and I think he's, you know, he's not a super young prospect anymore. But I don't think the book is written on Ryan Bader's career where he can't change something around. Um, and I think he could be competitive with some of these guys. You know, I gotta say, I don't mind the Rashad Evans fight. I think that's a fine fight. I think that makes more sense than the Dan Henderson one that Chuck brought up, right? Yeah. What the heck was that? Well, no. I, Rashad Evans coming back because that'd be a good fight. Ryan Bader said he has a couple injuries, so he's probably. I mean, maybe he comes back that December show in Phoenix because he's from there. 
that might be a little too soon. That's only three months away, or maybe a little, eh, four months away. Um, Rashad hoping to come back end of the year, early next year. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and Bader is always dangerous with his power. You know, he 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 tends to be more of a wrestler than a than a pocket puncher um, when when he gets to that level right before the title shot. Um, but he's always dangerous, and and I think the book the book is not completely written on Ryan. It's not Bader. written, but if you ask me right now, does he beat those guys mentioned? Sure, I mean he's not going to be the favorite over right, any of right. those guys. That's that's a given. Uh, okay, our next question about Kung Lee's new body. Mm. Ariel, what are your thoughts on Kung Lee's new body? I've recently seen a picture where he resembles a prime Vitor Belfort. What does Bisbing have to do to catch oh, a break God. in MMA? You know, I didn't even think of that. I oh. have. Uh, you have a picture. I have it. So this is this is what he is referring to. Kung Lee posted this to Instagram yesterday. My word. Shoot. Look at that. Holy moly. Will uh, says it's shooped. It's he what? See, uh, photoshopped. He can, oh. see, he can see the pixels. Um, I'd love to see a, you know, a, a, a before and after. I don't have the, no. uh, the before picture, <laughs> but let's just say he wasn't that you know, look, if you want me to sit here and say like, "Oh, look, this guy's on steroids," I mean, I, I can't make that I think accusation. That's what they want you to, yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. But what do you? Like, he looks incredible. Yeah, he looks to be in the best shape of his life, or at least in his fighting career as of late. Holy moly, um, he is fighting he, in China. But look, the UFC catches a lot of people, and TRT is no longer allowed. Uh, the UFC, I mean, my king, my king fought in Ireland. There's no commission there. They caught him last. Uh, last week and they cut him um, although I will say those that was a tough finale type of fight so there's a good chance my king would have been cut anyway but l- let's not take anything away from it I thought they sent the right message and kudos to them for giving uh, Kyle Pendred the the bonus now back to Kong he looks to be in incredible shape I mean what more can you say I can't accuse him of anything he has been you know he said he's healthy for the first time in a long time which can definitely contribute he's also, to what that. is he like 42 uh, I think that's, I mean, that sounds right. I'm not sure exactly how old he's he is. He's up there. I mean, what can you say? How does Michael Bisping look? He is uh, 42, born May 25th, 1972. Nailed I mean, it. To look like that at 42 is remarkable. And here's the thing. In this day and age, if you look like that, and if you you get better as time goes on, enough people have ruined it for the rest to where the first reaction is you're a cheater. Yeah. That's just the way it is. That's the way it is in sports. So I don't blame anyone for saying that. I just can't say that. Yeah. Nobody can say definitively until, you know, the test has failed or the test has passed. Uh, Next question. There has been little to no promotion of UFC Fight Night Henderson versus Dos Anjos. Why is that? It airs the same date as UFC Macau, but at a later time. Don't you too feel that a card headlined by a former UFC champion would be permit to some good exposure or at least some commercials. I had to go to UFC.com to even learn that UFC Henderson versus Dos Anjos was even happening. Well, um, you know, I got to say, I'm more interested in the Macau card than the Tulsa card. I mean, the top two fights in Macau, to me, are more interesting. Now, I really enjoy watching Benson Henderson fight, especially after the uh, the win that he had over Rustam Khabilov not that long ago. Was it early June in Albuquerque? I mean, I, I think he's in an interesting spot because he's lost already twice to Anthony Pettis, but he's still arguably the second best guy in the division. And uh, in my opinion, he's always fun to watch, even though some people think his style is 
boring sometimes or he just squeaks out decisions. I really enjoy watching him fight. Dos Anjos is a little nondescript. Um, you know, he, I, I, I don't get as excited about it. He doesn't really sell his fights all that much. And, you know, look, there's more buzz for Bisping versus Lee because Bisping and Lee sell their fights very well. Lee, as we mentioned earlier, is an attraction. And Bisping, I mean, he's a quote machine. He's all over the place. He has like eight feuds lined up after this fight, win or lose. So, But that's not a product of UFC promotion. I don't really think the UFC is doing a better job promoting one over the other. Do you see more about Bisping and Lee? I mean, maybe a little bit. They do push the fight pass cards a little more because, well, A, I think that the ones coming up are a little better. And Bisping and Lee are just big names. Yeah. And then Woodley, Dung Young Kim is a very important fight at 170. So... And, and, and that market is, you know, that market is obviously a lot more important to them than Tulsa, Oklahoma, even though it's their debut there. Um, I just think that's a better card. I mean, at least at the top. So, I don't know. I, 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 I thought the Tulsa card was okay when it had, uh, you know, Jordan Meehan and Brandon Thatch. That was a great fight. Mike Pyle versus Damian Maya. Then you had three solid fights, but they lost both Maya and Thatch. So, they had to combine the two fights and make it Meehan versus Pyle. And then, you know... The main event is just one of those fights where it's like Benson just keeps – he has to keep winning to remain relevant and to remain at the top. But how far can he go as long as Pettis is the champion? And also he's fighting so much and Pettis hasn't fought in so long. It's just the lightweight division is kind of weird right now. And both guys aren't – you know, they're not trash talkers. They're not going out of their way to sell the fight while Bisping and Lee have done a very good job of that in my opinion. So I think that's, that's, that's what you're seeing here. I don't think the UFC is favoring one card over the other. This one's a bit, little and by bit. the way, it's hard enough to promote one fight card, you know, back to back. You know, there's so many. You know that between August 16th, this past weekend, and I believe October 11th, there's a UFC card every single weekend, at least one. I believe there's 10 in eight weeks. That's like a full Bellator season. You know, I always said UFC doesn't even do that. The UFC does that now. That's amazing. Eight weeks, 10 fight cards. So we have two this weekend. Uh, this one's a bit lengthy, so bear with me. Is Alistair Overeem a bad sparring partner? Anthony Rebel Johnson is one of the f- best fighters in the world, no doubt. But his recent accusation of Alistair Overeem hurting people on purpose seems to be accurate, but hard to believe. Overeem never seemed like that type of person from listening to interviews with him, that he would intentionally hurt someone outside of competition on purpose. Do you believe Rumble Johnson's accusation is true? Fellow Blackzillian teammate Gilbert Burns also said Overeem hurt Gudo in Sench on purpose. While I am not sure what to believe on this scenario one thing is true the accident hurt the ufc's biggest Hmm. super fight between daniel cormier and john jones it's a true bummer to have to wait till january 3rd to see this awesome contest of two of the greatest current generation mma fighters i mean it's hard to say uh and nice sell job at the end there um it's it's hard to say you know that's just a couple of examples and i think he was considered a bad training partner at the black zillions for the most part because he just didn't train with the other guys like he kept to himself he did his own thing and and i and i know the comments that he's talking about but i think that was more of the issue um from what i read and heard it seems like it was just a freak accident this happens all the time so i don't think it's necessarily fair to label alistair Overeem a bad teammate bad training partner etc i think you'd have to talk to his coaches to really find out about that and it seemed like up until this point everything was rosy it was a great honeymoon period happening in uh, Albuquerque between Alistair Overeem and the rest of the team at Jackson Winklejohn. So 
I'll chalk this one up to a, a freak accident. We weren't there, so how can I really comment on it? I mean, somebody called and asked. John Jones um, didn't call him out or, or throw him under the bus. So, some somebody called and asked about Jackson's as a camp in terms of people getting hurt um, in training for uh, Rashad. Didn't he get roll, his leg rolled over? Um, John Jones. Now, is there something that we can glean from? You know, just going hard and sparring at that camp, or mm, nothing different. I mean, Jones isn't a guy who's pulled out of a lot of fights. I think all the camps go hard. I mean, th- there have been times where it has been brought up that the space is very small there, and guys bump into each other, and that's what happened with Rashad. Um, but the good news is they're expanding to a bigger space. And I think that's a big problem in MMA. Like, you have guys in boxing, everyone's there for the Floyd Mayweather camp. Everything revolves around him. In MMA, there are eight other guys with big fights coming up and then the small gym, and they're all wrestling. Sometimes it's amazing to watch. Like, they're out there on the mat doing their thing, wrestling and all that, and they could easily bump. I was there when I was at Albuquerque um, doing that UFC Tonight thing in, in, in April. It was unbelievable. It was not, I was at the gym there. It was unbelievable to see how many big-name fighters were training so close to each other. A disaster could have happened at any moment. So I think that's a little weird in our sport. And obviously, our sport's a little different because you're using all parts of your body to, to train. And that is, uh, that is a little troublesome because it leads to more injuries. You're not just, you know, in boxing, you're using your hands for the most part. And you can get knocked down and all of that, but you don't see guys, you know tearing their meniscus like you do in in mma no one's going at your legs yeah so it's it's tough it's a, it's a it's a weird thing you can't you know like how do you prepare for a fight if you don't go 100 percent? you just got to be a little smarter and be aware of your surroundings and not train in these packed gyms where guys are rolling into you but i don't know i mean i, I i'm not going to call john jones reckless or jackson guys reckless or overeem reckless Sometimes these things happen in MMA, as Gus Johnson once said. That's your second Gus jo- yeah, Johnson yeah. drop of it's the just day. A, it's, a great, it's a great out. Uh, next question. This person started to notice more and more often, with the latest example being the uh, Fight Night 47 post-fight interview. When Dana gets a question from a reporter that he doesn't like or is annoyed by, he says something along the lines of, you're getting Ariel Hawani on me, buddy. What do you think is the reason for this jab at you? Or your thoughts in general about him doing that? I love it. What a compliment. That means it's a good question, right? I saw him do this at the UFN 47, I guess it was. Let's call them Fight Night Maine. It's a lot easier to remember. Uh, He did that uh, when asked a question by young Mike Bond of MMAJunkie.com. And I think Mike is doing a fantastic job. I think he asks great questions. Uh, he's persistent. He he knows the right questions to ask. And I think he asked Dana, if I recall correctly, why did they move Demetrius Johnson from 177 to 178? Why did they pick that fight? I don't think it's a bad question. Why did you pick that fight? It was already on the card. Were there any other fights in play? You know, what 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 was on the table? And uh, Dana kind of looked at him like he had three heads and said, you know, now you're getting Ariel Hawani on me, buddy. That was a stupid question because he was the champion. Well, I think, you know, there's a little more to it. He didn't do great as a headlining act. 
in his last pay-per-view, UFC 174. He was already on one show, and to move him, you know, that, that creates a domino effect. I mean, it's, I think it's a very valid question. So if, if, if that is the response that comes to mind when you are asked a valid question in a sea of BS questions or softball questions or fluff questions or, you know, just giggling questions and all that, if that's the response that comes to mind while you are being thrown you know, you know, like compliment and softball after softball, I'll take it every day. And, uh, yeah, I love it. Better to say my name than someone else's name, right? If that's what comes to mind, if that's the connection that is made, cool. Good on Mike Bond. Our next question, what do you make of Dina complaining about the media's label of War Machine as ex-UFC fighter, quote-unquote? Shouldn't this be expected of the mainstream media as the UFC is the NBA, NFL, MLB of MMA? Well, you know, I get what he was saying to a degree. Now, obviously, it's incorrect to label Josh Grisby a UFC fighter because he's no longer in the UFC. Um, but you can certainly label him as an ex-UFC fighter, much like you can label... War Machine, an ex-UFC fighter. Now, what he was saying was, well, he's a, he was a current Bellator fighter, so why aren't they calling him a Bellator uh, fighter? Well, obviously, UFC is a thousand times bigger than Bellator. It's been around longer. People know what that term is. People know the organization. It means a lot more to say ex-UFC fighter than current Bellator fighter. Uh, I have no problem with labeling him an ex-UFC fighter. Now, what you should mention is ex-UFC fighter and current Bellator fighter. I think that's you know the most... Uh, the, the most accurate way of describing the guy. But if, if, if a news organization is going to call... See, if I was running... Well, MMAfighting.com, we wouldn't make the headline XUFC because we're up with the news and everything. I mean, we know that it has been a while since War Machine fought in the UFC and was on The Ultimate Fighter. Um, if I was running a random news organization like the Associated Press... And they don't know who War Machine is. They don't know who Bellator is. I would have no problem with saying ex-UFC fighter did so-and-so. But at MMAfighting.com, I can only speak for ourselves. We didn't label him as an ex-UFC in, <clears throat> in the headlines or in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the headlines or anything like that. I mean, that seems like a stretch, right? I mean, he hasn't fought there in multiple years. He's fought for numerous organizations since then, including most recently Bellator, which in our world is a big deal because we cover the sport day-to-day -day basis. But if he's talking about the general media that was covering this story, and there was a lot of them covering it, I couldn't believe how many people started covering this story, calling him ex-UFC fighter. It's just a way to describe a guy and to gain people's attention and to also tell people about, you know, in a nutshell, who this man is. Same way if you play, look, they call Brendan Schaub an ex-NFL player. They call Matt Mitrione an ex-NFL player. You know, they call these guys who had a cup of coffee in the NFL ex-NFL players. The UFC I'm talking about. So that's just the way it is. I mean, I can understand him trying to uh, remove himself from the situation or wash their hands of the situation, but this is done in every media story involving every player, every athlete who had a cup of coffee in any organization. Well, I mean, also, if you get if you want the positive rub of being of UFC being synonymous with MMA, this is the negative side that's going to naturally come with it. Um, and I imagine that, you know, the UFC wants to be MMA or, or you know, the equivalent in, in sure. most of the general public's mind. So you have to take the negative with it as well. Yeah, they 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 want 
websites on the I, what are those things called like the navigation bar they want it to say UFC as opposed to MMA yeah um, and of course I'm sure they'd rather you just cover the UFC but the point is even if you had that cup of coffee you're still an ex-UFC fighter um, now if you just completely ignore the fact that he is Bellator all that, that is a little weak but you can't expect these other you know news organizations that never I mean real you know like major not not just sports news CNN, you can't expect him to start listing all these organizations that he fought for. The biggest is the UFC, and he fought for them. He's an ex-UFC fighter. But again, MMA websites, I don't think they should say ex-UFC fighter in the headline because it's been a while. Our next question, uh, you, may, you may or may not have heard this. Thoughts on Chael's interview on the Talk is Jericho podcast yes. last week. And do you think we will see the bad guy back in broadcasting for the UFC? So I did or hear for Fox, it. because he wasn't actually. Right. I did hear it, and I must say that I was very impressed by a couple things. A, I thought Jericho did a very good job. These, these wrestlers are surprising me. Much like Stone Cold, I thought he asked great questions and uh, great follow-ups and listened very well. I kind of thought that he buried the lead, to be honest. I mean, they got into all the, the drug and commission stuff a little later on, but you know, he's not a journalist, and they were kind of catching up on how they met, and their backgrounds and, uh, you know, the, 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 the stuff that they had in common and all that stuff. But all that being said, I thought he did a great job. And what I liked most about it was I thought it was like a kayfabe Chael Sonnen interview. And if you don't know what I mean, this is what I mean. It felt like for the first time in a very long time, that was the real Chael Sonnen. Remember, on this show and many others, Chael Sonnen said that he never watched pro wrestling. On the Jim Rome show, famously before UFC 117, he said that that wasn't him who said that Lance Armstrong gave himself cancer. He finally admitted to a lot of things that he had been fibbing about for a very long time. It felt like the gimmick had been dropped. Now, there were a few other things that I think he was uh, stretching a little bit, but for the most part, it felt like we were getting the real Chael Sonnen. It felt like he was in a good place. I was almost somewhat shocked by not how... I don't want to dismissive is not the right word, but it's like it just felt like he was unaffected by everything. Yeah, it's just two years, and you know I'm going to try out for the Olympics maybe and do this and that. It just to me it's like wow, spending two years, maybe your reputation has been you know dragged through the mud, and you lost your job with the UFC as far as broadcasting is concerned. I mean, a lot of bad things has happened have happened to Chael Sonnen as of late, and it seemed like he was still the same old positive Chael. You got to give him credit for that, and I want to hear more of that. And, and most interesting was the fact that he said, if I could give anyone a piece of advice, come clean. People are a lot more apologetic if you just come clean right off the bat. And I wish he took his own advice because I believe that if he would have, if he would have came clean right off the bat the first time and was less confrontational, I think he might still have a job uh, with Fox. But he didn't do that. And good to hear that he learned from his mistakes. And uh, I just thought he was very truthful and honest and for the most part, and it was a fun conversation between two guys who obviously respected each other a lot. So if you haven't heard it, I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, this is the chale that I like to hear much more Did than you like hear the it? gimmicky. Yeah, I listened to it. It was um, good. And I, I, I'm not, you know, I like Chael's um, shtick and, I, and I'm all about um, him hyping up fights. But I, I much like when I much prefer when he pulls back the curtain and, uh, you know, speaks candidly on things like this. And, and that's what makes Chael so interesting is that he has this kind of on off switch um, where right after he loses, he can uh, assess his fight um, 
in an objective way and kind of uh, talk about his performance yeah. and talk about what, what went wrong in a way that a lot of people can't. And in this case, he talked about um, being busted for, for uh, illegal substances and talked about it very candidly. And that's, that's, my, that's why I like Chael so much. And now we will move on to the Twitter portion of the show. Yeah, he needs to go that route more often these days now to as he starts to oh Bless gosh him. excuse me as he starts to um rehabilitate his image people are very they're very open to this kind of thing they're very sympathetic when you come out and say i messed up that's what he should have done the first time it's unfortunate that he didn't and it, i feel it's like good he's to see that he's doing it now i feel like he's kind of bulletproof though yeah, like, it's amazing. he can mess up so many times, nobody's ever going to... Man, that was pretty bad, but the commission, they gave him an out. The commission made him sympathetic by trying to stop him from doing the Men of Morris thing. All of a sudden, Chael Sonnen <clears throat> became like, oh, poor Chael Sonnen. They're stopping him from making a living. He became the good guy again. It's unbelievable. Yeah, every, I feel like the, the, the main thing for Chael Sonnen is everybody who's had a personal interaction with him kind of has a, a story, um, and it's usually a positive one. He's a very likable guy. That he's so likable, and you know, it's, he, it makes him almost bulletproof, no matter what happens professionally. It's amazing. Um, His spin on things is just amazing. Yeah. Okay, first question from Twitter. Where do you rank Tim Boach among the best homecoming performances? Hmm. It's pretty good. I mean... Tim Boach hasn't always been associated with Maine. I mean, he's fought out of Washington, Pennsylvania. So, like, when I think Tim Boach, I actually just learn. I mean, he's not Mr. Maine. You know what I mean? Um, like, GSP is Mr. Montreal. You heard he got a big pop from Chuck, though. Chuck said he was there. And no, no, no. I know that. But um, there's some other guys. Who, who, who comes to mind? I'm trying to think here. Um, you know, the, the Albuquerque guys got big pops. Conor McGregor got a big pop. Conor McGregor, there you go. I mean, it's tough for me to think of these in the third hour, but you know what I'm saying. What made it great was the comeback. You know, the comeback was great. The finish was great. And then everyone rose to their feet and everyone gave him a great ovation and showering him with all this love. And not quite up until that point. I mean, the night was getting off to a slow start. It started to pick up at the main card, but I think people were really hoping to erupt for a nice moment and with him starting off a bit slow and getting rocked and coming back with a dramatic win like that it was great so eh, it's up there but i never really associated him with maine and you know being the the, the great fighter i mean mike brown when i think of maine i think of mike brown and tim sylvia i think of mike brown first to be honest even though tim sylvia was known as the maniac because mike brown always talked about wanting to fight in maine and that was a dream of his unfortunately it didn't come to fruition um so that's what i think about but after learning about him and his connection to Maine and all that stuff and then getting this and the reaction, yeah, it was great. But I, I wouldn't put it up there. Our next question, hypothetically, if Brock came back after winning last night at SummerSlam, would you say he would be more popular than the first stint? Mm, hmm, that's a good question. I think he'd be super popular. He's very popular now. But I don't know if WWE is as popular today as it was back then. And I don't know if the UFC is as popular today as it was back then. Maybe the UFC is, the UFC is definitely more mainstream, more shows. But as you saw with the John Jones-Cormier thing, when a big thing happens, it gets picked up. I think it's tough to say. I mean, it was so new and the novelty of this guy coming from pro wrestling 
leaving WWE at his peak, the way he left WWE, tried out for the NFL, came to the UFC 1-0. I mean, all that just made it all that more interesting. We've seen him in the UFC. It's not as fresh. I think he would be very well received. I don't know if it would be as big. Also, let's not forget the Frank Mir rivalry was great because Mir beat him. They had a tremendous back and forth, UFC 100. I mean, a lot of things, the stars aligned for Brock Lesnar, and he deserved, and, and he was a big part of it, but it was almost right place at the right time. If Brock Lesnar enters the UFC as a 1-0 fighter today, I don't even know if he gets the title. I don't know if he gets that far. I think the, the, the talent pool in the UFC, even at heavyweight, which may be its most shallow division, is a lot better today than it was just a few years ago. I don't. I did not watch wrestling at the time when Brock was entering. Was was he like at the top of the game when he came yeah, over? Yeah, he was champion, all that stuff. Mm. Headline WrestleMania. He was a big deal. And so it's it, like his popularity then and now would be like equivalent. It's not like he because I he he, he was a bigger he was a bigger deal in WWE back then because he was more. Um, he, he he was more not more relevant, but he, he had more dates. Like, he, he was a bigger part of the show. Mm. Now he wrestled. I mean, the last time he wrestled was WrestleMania, right? So it's been a while. He, he only works a certain amount of dates. Back then, he was on every week and all that right, stuff. Right. You know, so he was more... He was, uh, he was seen more, more. More visible. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. He was more visible. Okay. Um, this is less of a question, but I know we have beaten this horse to death, but have, you have to bring up UFC 177 is so bad that it's on Groupon today. Okay, so I have a confession to make. I don't really know what Groupon is. Okay, so let's look at the page. So here's Groupon. Do you know what Groupon is? Like, Can do. you explain this to me? So Groupon is a website where you register, um, and they send you deals that, or you know, offers that are local to your area. Um, to purchase at a reduced rate. So let's say it's like uh, 10 kayaking um, sessions. Instead of paying whatever that price is to, directly to the vendor, you can buy it for group, from Groupon for a discount. So in this case, it looks like the discount is 31% off the face value of UFC tickets to... Wow. And this this isn't something that happens often? I mean... The, the reason it might not happen is because it's considered a discount item at that point. Like, yeah, if, yeah. if you can't sell it, then that's when it goes on Groupon. So that's why I imagine that um, it's, a, it's a big deal. Well, I got to say, I'm, I'm surprised because Dillashaw is from Sacramento and he is the champion. Um, I don't know. What's the question? Or is it more of a statement? It was more of a it was a statement, but I guess the question that's implied is like, are are ticket sales that bad? That yeah, I, I haven't looked into the ticket sales. It's not something I usually do. I mean, you usually hear uh, about buzz and things like that, you know, around this time before a fight. But uh, I am surprised if this is an indication that ticket sales are bad. I am surprised to hear that because I thought even though it wasn't the most stack card in UFC history, I mean that's clear. No one will tell you otherwise with a straight face. Um, I mean, it's still a big it, deal. The guy is a champion, first guy from Sacramento. You'd think that's a big deal locally, right? It, that's why they moved this card from Vegas to Sacramento. It may not be an indicator of that because you don't know how many of these are available. Sure. Um, there, you need to have more context and yeah. more details to, to make any inference off this. Um, but I do think it is rare. I don't think I've ever 
heard of UFC tickets on Groupon. I but like I, I could be wrong. Maybe like maybe that's happened. I, I could be wrong. I feel like um, I've heard that before. But it's like people seem to be talking about it much more in this case. Yeah, of course. People are always trying to look. Oh wait, it's UFC one seventy seven. My bad. Uh people always try to jump on that stuff. I mean, let's be honest, it's not a great cart. It's not stacked. Yeah. It's not one seventy eight. It just isn't. You know, that's why I put you know, I said it to him. I don't consider Tony Ferguson. I don't think Tony Ferguson versus Danny Castillo should be called a co-main event. To me, a co-main event means... Oh, no, not this again. Yes, but it's true. You disagree? I, I'll say the same thing I said last time. It, it's Did I just say a, this last time? You and I had a back and forth about this. Who cares what it's called? Well, it's no, called. It's, the, it's the co-main event because it's the second to last fight on the card. But that's not right. A co-main. What do you event mean that's not right? Who cares? Like what no, it's called? I care because it, not all co-main events are created equally. That's yeah, but no, not all main events are created equally. It's the main event because it's the last fight. It's the co-main event because it's the second to last fight. Okay, let me ask you this. Given the UFC's history, last couple of years, if Barrow Dillashaw. Fell through. Okay, yep. Would Castillo-Ferguson be a suitable main event? I, I don't think people would pay for that on pay-per-view, no. They would cancel it? Yeah. So how is it a co-main event? Okay, but so any card that you can... So your, your, your barometer is if the co-main event can't fill in as a replacement main event, I don't think there are any of those anymore. I don't think those exist anymore. No, yeah, I think there there are. Um, UFC 175. Rousey Davis. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's one. Let, how about we... Let's, I was just, let's, I was uh, just talking up. about this month. Okay, let's look at the past UFCs, right? Yeah, let's go through the last couple of pay-per-views. Um, well, UFC 174 was... Uh, I think you could have gotten away with Cormier Henderson. I think there's a legit co-main event. Okay, so the the um, what was that? 173, right? What was the main yeah. event on 173? Brad Dillashaw. So that falls through. Um, Cormier Henderson. They continue with the pay-per-view. Yeah. Okay. What about 172? Well, that was uh, that was Anthony Johnson versus Phil Davis. It's fine. That's a co-main event. My point is, that's a big enough fight. It's important to this division. Uh, 171. What was that? Uh, that was a great card, actually, 171. It was, right? Yeah. Hendricks Lawler, uh, mm-hmm. Woodley Condit. I don't, I don't that's see... That's a co-main event. I see a difference. I certainly... I'm not going to argue with Rashad you. Cormier. That was the fight, right? I'm not going to... That's a co-main event. I'm not going to argue that this fight is equivalent to those fights. Aldo Lamas, But what I'm saying event. is the degree, the magnitude... The degree of magnitude between them is not different in the it, where it ha, it deserves a different label of some sort. It, it's the same. It's Rousey Tate co-main event, Sun and Evans co-main event. Yeah, you feel me? Castillo, <laughs> Cormier Nelson co-main event. I'm going one by one here. So okay, so what's the threshold? I'm At first, you said it was all... if they sell a pay-per-view, if the main fight falls out. And now, obviously, as we're going through these, these guys would not, not all, not all the fights you just listed would be able to carry a pay-per-view. It's just if it's a big fight, you know what I mean. If it's just like, oh, this fight is important, is big, big name, you, you, you know, it's like you can't. I can't describe the all... UFC is different now. 
There's yeah. The UFC is call, just different. Why do they have to call it a co-main event? Why can't they just say? Look, if they took it out tomorrow, yeah, I'm not going to be rallying in the streets for <laughs> the replace Mm-mm. for the return of co-main event. But that's just a title that's assigned to it right now, and it just has to. That's the All way right, it is. Fine, I'll drop it. Is that what you're saying? You want me to drop it? No, but we did. My crusade. We did, we did uh, the, the term, the misuse of the term co-main event. I mean, do we have to institute the official people's main event? Like, do, now do you have to come on board and um, point out what is the, the true second best fight or first yes. best even? On sometimes, the- look, that's why I got into all this people's main event stuff. Because sometimes the co-main event just wasn't up to snuff. I, do you want to know what the people's main event for 177 is? Yeah, is that what you're it. asking? I should start announcing the people's main event on the MAR. Okay, here it is. You ready? Well, to me, I really like the Baszler Betchkohea fights. That's a people's main event. That's an obvious one. That one could determine the number one contender, for all we know, right? So now, is that a co main event? Let's say that was the second to last Honestly, fight. Honestly, I thought that was going to be the co-main event, yes. Did you not think so? I don't care about co-main event. Well, your loss. Um, you know, I got to say, though. If it did, though, would you, would you feel like uh, it was any different in terms of the Ferguson-Castillo? Look, it doesn't even matter. They're all three-round fights. Who cares where they're at? You know, I was, I was getting people who were asking me, oh, man, I can't believe... Uh, Cerrone versus Green is the co-main event, and they just bumped down Connor versus Dustin Poirier. Who cares? What's the difference? Wait a minute. Who cares? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. My, maybe it's too. We're too deep into the show. That's <laughs> that's what I'm saying about the co-main event. No, Who no, cares? no, no, no. Look, the point is, I would be okay with either of those fights being co-main event because Cerrone. Oh, fine. so now they're. Oh, those what? two are both. Those are good worthy. fights. I see, yeah, those I see, are good fights. Okay, that's fair. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Those so two are both worthy like, of being it. Oh, he should be so pissed. Okay, okay, Who okay. cares about that? All I'm saying is if you got nothing, don't call it a co-main event. <laughs> um, but I just want to say about UFC 177, I know it's a little thin, um, but there are some interesting stories. Henry Cejudo making his UFC debut. I like that against Scott Jorgensen. But if this was a fight pass card, it would have fit right in. I mean, or, or a fight night. Yeah, fight yeah, night yeah. Card. Yeah, of course. Uh, Joe Soto. And by the way, a lot of these are undercard fights. Uh, Joe Soto making his UFC debut, former Bellator champion. Um, Brunson versus Larkin. I'm down with that. Yeah. Uh, Ramsey Nijem versus Carlos Diego Ferreira, undefeated, or Ferreira. Uh, and I like the bitch guys. It's unfortunate. Even though the Demetrius fight was a little wonky, it was like, all right. It legitimized it. Yeah, it legitimized it. Yeah. Um. Cool. What do we? Uh, we oh, got two it. cards coming up this weekend. Oh, that's it. That's it. Okay, let's look at the odds. Uh, do you want to do it? No, you do it. Okay. Well, or what do we got? Have you seen them? No, not yet. What do you mean not yet? Are you I'm, gonna look at uh, them right now? No, I'm going to look at them eventually. But you don't know. See, the I have thing not is, seen them. can I trust you? Can neither trust me or not trust me. I don't really. Well, then, okay, here we go. Kung Lee, Michael Bisping. Uh, I'm picking the favorites. Yes. Same same deal. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael Bisping for sure. Yeah. Minus two fifty six. Lee plus two seventy four. What do you think of that? This is about right, actually. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, we just saw how Kung looks. He looks incredible right now. So, um, who knows how how 
you know, that'll affect performance. Um, but I think that's about right. Tyron Woodley versus Dunyon Kim. I'm going to go with Woodley. Mm-hmm. Close no? one. No, no. I said, mm-hmm. Oh. Um, but, yeah, it has to be close because Stun Gun's still one of the top guys in that division. Minus 135, Woodley, Kim plus 127. So very close. Yeah. I'd say that's about a pick em. I like I'd both those right. fights a lot. Those are great fights. Only on What else pass. we got? Okay, that's it for uh, Macau. Nothing else. What, really? Yeah. Let's go to Tulsa, though. A bunch. Okay. okay. Chris Heatherly versus Ben Saunders, the returning Ben Saunders. Uh, kill a B. Minus 341 for Saunders, plus 299 for Heatherly. Aaron Phillips versus Matt Hobar. Oh, geez. <laughs> Um, I don't remember how either of them performed uh, in their last UFC fight, so I'm going to go, I think, with Hobar. Yep, minus 201 versus plus 185. Benil Dariush versus Tony Martin. Uh, Dariush. Yep, minus 110 versus plus 103. Neil oh, Magny. that's close. That's yeah. a really close fight. Yeah. Uh, Neil Magny versus Alex Garcia. I like Alex Garcia. Yeah, I think Garcia, um, he proved that he had the gas tank to go three rounds, so that, that was a good performance for him last time. I think that he'll be the favorite. Correct. Minus 141 versus plus 128. Also close. Another close one. Chas Skelly versus Tom Ninamaki. I remember being impressed by Skelly. I don't remember if he won or lost. I think he won. But, like, it was a close fight last time. So, I think Ninimaki will be the favorite, though. Correct. Minus 136 versus plus 123. Interesting. I like that fight. Yeah, that I is like a good fight. fight a lot. I like Ninimaki. Um, interesting trend developing here. I'll get to in a second. James Vick, he's back, versus Walmir Lazaro. I don't know who Lazaro is. Has he, has he fought in the UFC? Mm, I don't think so. Um, I guess I'm going to go with Vic then. Let me just see here. Man, it's been a while since Vic fought. It's really been, uh, it's been a, yeah, it's been almost exactly a year. Remember he had that great win, the first FS1 show. Um, yeah, uh, Lazaro has won a whole bunch in a row. Holy moly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven. Last fought for a shoot of Brazil. Wow. So who, who are you picking? I said Vic just because he's fought in the UFC. I don't know enough. Uh, yeah. Vic, 147, and Lazaro, plus 135. Max Hall. Oh, wait. This fight got canceled. Max this Hall. Was, I, I uh, think I just saw this, right? Bectic, right? Yeah. Let me see here. UFC News, I think, tweeted it earlier. Uh, Mirsad Bectic out of UFC Fight Night with an injury. CC steps in to fight Holloway, making his UFC debut. Clay Collard. So, I guess they're not. I know nothing about Clay Collard. So we'll skip that one. That's Max Holloway returning. Okay, here we go. The uh, top three: Talos Ladies versus Francis Caramon. That's a weird one because Caramon's stock is down, and Ladies has looked pretty good. I'm going to go Dallas. 
First incorrect. Is it close? Yeah, it's close. Minus 147 for Carmont and uh, Talos Ladies plus 130, 135. I, I could I can uh, dig that. I can drive with that. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven in a row. I'm including the Holloway one, which got canceled. That were all in the 100s. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, that's good matchmaking right there. That's a good, that's a good fight card. Now, obviously, it, it comes with the caveat that the odds makers are not, you know, uh, always right. And right. Uh, that's not indicative of how close the fights actually are. But typically, it's a pretty decent guideline. So that means that hopefully that these will be some, you know, really close, uh, exciting fights. I wonder, I wonder how many of these odds makers have actually seen these guys. I mean... I j- if that's your job, you you have got to be watching the tape. Yeah. Um, otherwise, because let's say you're an odds maker and you haven't watched the tape and you set that line, you, whoever you're setting that line for is going to lose money when the people who have watched the tape end up betting on your bad line. Right, right, right. So let's say I put uh, Kung Lee as a minus 1,000 favorite over Michael Bisping. And then everybody starts betting on Bisping. You're gonna lose that. Whoever you set that for is gonna lose money. So I mean, there'd be really no excuse if you haven't watched the tape on on these guys. Okay, finally, Benson Henderson versus Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, Benson. Yeah, Benson minus two ninety three, dos Anjos plus two eighty five. That was it. Is there not another fight on this card? Um, there might be. But yeah, like I said. I don't think so, actually. Like I said, it got kind of killed by the fact that Mian versus Thatch was great. Yeah, that is a that's a and fun one. Kyle versus Maya was great as well. So that was a solid top three. Wait, so aren't isn't Pyle still fighting on this card? Yeah, we are. Oh yeah, we didn't do that one. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. My bad. Yeah, you're right. What what the heck happened? Um, Mian versus Pyle. Did you see the odds? No. This is interesting. I, I'm guessing Mian, but yeah. maybe... Close, though. Minus 194, Pyle plus 174. I mean, Pyle's... Man, Pyle had a really good streak going, then he kind of got back to the up and down um, that he had leading into it. So we'll see. But, I mean, Jordan Mian, I think he's a legit prospect. I think he's going to come out and have a good performance. Let me ask you something. When you go to this Best Fight Odds I'm website... Gonna, did we actually do them all? Because now done. I'm going to yeah, actually yeah. go to the... We're done. When you click on a guy's name... And then it tells you, like, mm-hmm. all his past fights. It just tells you the odds, but it doesn't tell you if he won or not. Or does it? And I'm missing No, it, it doesn't. It's kind of weird, right? Don't you want to, like, uh, Yeah, look I at guess you have to open Wikipedia as well. It's annoying. Just put a W next no, to wait. his name. Mm, you know what? Uh, if your name... I could be wrong, but let me just double-check this. If your name is on top, uh, you won the fight. Oh, you think? And if your name is on bottom... Well, the, I was just to know that. No, that's BS. I mean, look at it. I know, but you'd have to know enough about the fights. No, I don't think so, because didn't he... Okay, let's look here. Benson beat Habilov. He beat Thompson. He lost to Pettis. He beat Melendez. He beat Diaz. He beat Edgar. He beat I think Edgar. that might just be the, no, the I think corner. That, I think that's accurate. Okay, so I'm looking at Mike Pyle, right? Chris Wilson is on top and Pyle beat him. Well, well, there goes that then. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that's their problem. Um, so, yeah, I guess there is there's not a way to see who did end up winning that fight. Silly. All right. Well, that does it. Uh, two UFC fights this weekend. And there's also Titan on Friday. Mike Ricci versus George Sotteropoulos. And also there's RFA on Friday. So a busy week in the world of MMA and I'm sure a lot of other news by the time we talk to you again on Monday next week. You can hit my music. There it is. Well, fun show this week. I want to thank everyone who tuned in. I want to thank everyone who stopped by. Thank you very much to Chuck Mindenhall for offering his thoughts and opinions on UFC Fight Night Maine. Thank you very much to Scott Coker. Great to talk to Scott. And best of luck to him as he enters this new chapter in his life. Bellator returning September 5th on Spike TV. Thank you very much to Dean Thomas for stopping by early morning for him or late night for him. I'm guessing it was a late night. He probably had three or four more nights at the club in Hong Kong doing his thing. Uh, but I appreciate him stopping by and best of luck to Tyron Woodley this Saturday against Dung Young Kim. Uh, thank you very much to Danny Castillo. Good luck to him at UFC 177. I'll be there. No UFC for me this weekend. No Tulsa, no Macau. But I'll be at 177. I'll also be at Foxwoods a few days later. Uh, thank you very much to Josh Barnett, even though you made me a little sad. Doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon. Uh, best of luck to him in whatever the hell he's doing. And thank you very much to Christoph Soshinsky. Best of luck to him post-fighting. And glad to hear that his health issues aren't all that serious. Of course, memory loss, very serious. But at least right now, not suffering from anything else and we wish him the best uh, as he embarks on life after fighting thank you to everyone who tuned in if you missed anything check it out itunes stitcher mmafighting.com we'll see you next week until next time peace i'm out of here